the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, June 10th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. After the party, it's the hotel lobby. After the Belvedere, then it's probably Chris. And after the original, it's probably this. Yes, my yes, Fiesta. Remix with the homie from the Midwest side. Game recognized, game do too. It's a new two live crew, I suppose you knew. So clubs and toasters, but don't approach us or to chase you like Mo at Mimosas. Catch us both posters, racing twin coaches, boxes with to the pop, you to make you closer. Whoever come closest, you've been warned, but don't get the picture to the... This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off-duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota, the apparatus known as the MyPillow family. Got a little Father's Day special going on right now. My slippers, usually well over $100, marked down bigly $49.99. Lots of other things at mypillow.com. When you own a promo code STEAK at checkout, save on all the other MyPillow products. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, here for the fiesta, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Island has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL if you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada. He's got a five-star rating. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the newly redesigned, easy-to-use website. He's on Facebook Messenger. You can get to talk to him via the telephone as well, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast packs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. When they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Also got a pretty fire IG. NewYorkerMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair. Home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. Can be found at Dumpbox. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Those are just squared away and done up right. Dumpbox.us is the website. They're on Instagram, and they are on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at SteakforBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram, and more. On that note, and to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified account on Truth Social, welcome. 
Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 142. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hello, hello. We got a pretty banging lineup today to uh, finish out the week. Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake will be joining us. Everyone's favorite house rep race runner, Joe Ken, will be here as well. Nice. Follow up on his appearance on Tucky last night. We're going to be sitting down with former Trump admin legal counsel, Andrew Clouster, for the first time. And we're going to be circling back with absolute Chad, nominee in North Carolina 13, Bo Hines. All right, coming in first with us today on this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, she is back again, America first gubernatorial candidate in the great state. Not so much of a battleground. We think it's a red state of Arizona. Carrie Lake, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast again. It's good to be here. How are you guys doing today? Man, we're doing great. The pleasure is all ours, and uh, we're really happy that you've taken time out of your ridiculously busy schedule to sit down with us yet again. I'm happy to be here. I I love this show, and I I actually usually learn something from you guys on the show (laughs) as well. So I hope we keep that trend going, and you, uh, you know, inform me of a few things as well. Now, you got the primary coming up in August? August 2nd. Yeah, and, and, you know, we've seen your continued successes via a lot of the polls that have come out, regardless how much of your political opponents have decided to spend to attack you. How's the campaign trail been treating you? We know it's been well, but what's the pulse of the uh, people in Arizona right now? What are they feeling? It seems like they're uh, still pretty dialed in and in tune to that awesome message that you're portraying there. Well, the people are fed up. They're worried. They um, are sick of losing their freedoms. They are outraged by what they're seeing coming out of Washington, D.C. with this, uh, I don't even know how to refer to to Biden, uh, illegitimate president who is dead set on destroying this country. And they are looking for a fighter who will stand up and protect the great state of Arizona. And that's what I am. That's why I'm in this. Believe me, nobody in their right mind gets into politics unless we are in such dire straits that we got to have someone who's going to get in there and save the state. And I looked at who was running in the Republican field and I saw a, a bunch of rhinos and people who are recycled politicians and lobbyists. And I felt that I had to jump in and run. So we've had a, a movement afoot since day one. It's been over a year now that we've been in this race. We're doing great. We're at, I think we're at 43% in the polls right now. But, you know, the fake media is so worried about getting uh, a Trump, a female version of Trump. Basically, that's what some people yeah. call me. And, and I think that's a compliment because I love his policies. And I think he was a transformative figure who helped wake people up and um, brought back America first values and policy. So the people are very worried. The media is very worried. They are really pushing hard for my opponents to win because they want the status quo. And they, I mean, here's how bad it is, guys. We have polling that we, we release our internal polling. And you guys know what internal polling is, sure. right? Yes. It's basically when you hire the best pollster out there, hopefully that's what we do. <laughs> and we say, give it to us straight. We don't want it sugarcoated. If we're losing, give it to us straight. If we're winning, give it to us straight. We just want the honest truth. Everybody does this. We're the only campaign releasing our internal polling. Uh, the other candidates, because they are uh, falling and they're falling fast, will not release their internal polling. So they get these partisan pollsters who are full of BS and they put out their polls, which are uh, completely ridiculous. The pollster they tend, the media tends to like is the one that's actually closely associated with both of my opponents. Mm. The part, so they released their polling this week that it would, and the polling was taken a month ago 
And yet they won't release our internal polling, which shows us winning big. So they're just really, really worried about Trump Republicans. They thought they could get rid of President Trump and make his movement go away. And they are wrong. You know, Gary, I want to stay in the same thread there. And, 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 you know, you mentioned President Trump going back and watching him through his primary races and then, you know, up through the nomination and when he ran against Hillary Clinton in 2016 and then again against Joe Biden. Um, he was probably one of the most prepared and able to talk off the cuff candidates that I've ever seen in my lifetime. I'm in my mid 40s, you know, and, and, and it's we see a lot of the same things with you, but it's not only from your political opponents, it's constant ambushes in the legacy media, no matter where you go, even when you go on so-called conservative networks, they still want to like direct the way that the interview is going to go and not really talk about the issues. How do you prepare? I mean, I know you worked in the media for a long time, so you kind of know what direction they might be going in, but when you're trying to stump on like the issues that are important to the people of Arizona, uh, how do you go in preparing for that and, and know that wherever you go, whether it be a forum or a debate or even on places like Rob Schmidt's show, which was pretty funny, uh, you're going to be ready to take them to task and, and let the people hear your message. I think because I'm not worried about speaking, I'm speaking the truth. And when you're just speaking the truth, you don't have to uh, categorize and organize every thought because you're just speaking what is the truth. Right. And so I, I am able to watch how the interviewer who's interviewing me handles themselves. And I can start to see how they twist and turn and they try to ask questions that will, will lead you down a, a, a trap. And I just won't fall for it. Um, I've worked in media for 30 years. I understand how they do it. I watched as the um, media turned into just propagandists. I was disgusted with that. And that's why I left. I learned how to be a journalist back in the day when you tell both sides of the story mm -hmm. and you keep your opinion out. And somewhere along the way, it began to be just social justice warriors pushing a leftist agenda. And I was watching it happen in horror. And um, so I can see what's coming at me. And, and you know, the, the interview I did with Newsmax uh, the night that 2000 Mules debuted yep. at Mar-a-Lago, I was expecting them to ask me about that. I, they knew I was at that screening. And so I agreed to do the interview with full expectation that we would be talking about that movie. So we got about, you know, three or four, five minutes into the interview and they hadn't asked me a single question. I literally had left the screening to go to my room and take part in that interview. And I was really dumbfounded when they weren't asking me about it. So I found a way to bring the movie in and to tell their viewers what's really going on. One of the many ways they cheated in our election, which was uh, taking ballots, fraudulent ballots, paying mules, which are people, to traffic those fraudulent ballots and put them in the drop boxes and skew the election. They, they, they're reporting that more than 200,000 ballots got thrown into this election to uh, really, I, I believe, destroy uh, our faith in the elections. Yeah. And, and that's how Joe Biden allegedly won our state. Mm -hmm. That's one way. But, you know, the other way they're cheating is with these electronic voting machines. And that's why I got involved in a federal lawsuit. As a matter of fact, we filed a preliminary injunction. So it's moving along. We filed a preliminary injunction this week asking Arizona to no longer use those, those vote counting machines, the ESNS, Smartmatic, et cetera. And the reason being is they're easily manipulated. Yep. We've got proof and evidence they can be manipulated. There's no security. There is no transparency. They won't tell us how these machines work. And we trust 100% of our vote 
to go in there and be counted. And we just learned this week uh, with this last primary in Georgia that when they did a hand count in a couple of these counties and compared it to the, I call it black box voting you know, count, uh, when they compared it, the results were actually flipped. So in other words, on the Dominion, ESNS, Smartmatic style machines, the first place winner that those machines said was the first place winner in the hand count was actually the third place winner. Mm. And the first place winner in the machine count was actually uh, the third place winner. So it flipped third and first flipped. We can't let these machines count our votes anymore. They they can't be trusted. I just don't know how they can argue against us having issues with it because I mean, what was it? They were, they were running with the same story before all this happened. Exactly. Yeah, 20, 2017, all the Democrats yeah. were um, speaking out, saying they, they've watched, Kamala Harris said she watched as an electronic voting machine was hacked in front of her very eyes. Mm-hmm. We had Elizabeth Warren, we had uh, you know, Amy Klobuchar. Yep. All yep. of these people were railing against the machines, and they're right. We can't trust them. Mm-hmm. Their components are made by our adversaries in China. And so we need to get rid of them. They did it in France. They had no problems with the election. Let's go back to the way we used to do it, where we had fair elections. Sure. I mean, you know, that 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 seems to be the big problem right there. It, it's like when you went on that show and, and you made Rob Schmidt a man that night. You really did. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I've, you know, he was such a big boy when he did his Donald Trump interview. And to see him get broken down like that by you, Carrie, was extremely impressive. I was actually watching it live. And it, it was just, it was just, you know, you do what you have to do. But that's the thing. Why doesn't anybody in the legacy media want to talk about the 2020 presidential election and the amount of fraud that took place? Like whether or not it factored into totally flipping the election, that's for other people to decide. But to have an open and fair debate about it, it seems like it's just like a no-fly zone for everyone across the board from the most conservative, quote-unquote, legacy news outlets all the way down to the radical progressive left's ones. And uh, why do they want the the attention of the American public directed to stuff like, you know, that absolute dumpster fire they had on TV last night with the, you know, unselect committee in primetime? Well, they've been part of lying to us for so long that, you know, they've carried on this lie about the election for so long that when the truth is starting to come out and it is coming out, it's coming out rapidly, they're thinking they can just keep lying and and people won't be exposed to the truth. But people are not getting their information anymore from the corporate media. So it's almost comical. It's, it's like if you're a parent and you watched your child do something that they weren't supposed to do, but they didn't know you saw it. And you ask them about it and they lie. And then you give them another chance and you ask about it again and they continue to lie. It's almost comical because you're like, oh my gosh, we know what happened. And you guys are still lying about it. Eventually they're gonna have to start telling the truth because there's too much coming out right now on it. And we're, we're gonna be putting out some new footage mm. in the next couple of weeks that is going to shock people. Mm. When you see what was happening with this trafficking of the ballots and they're gonna have to start covering it. Pretty soon, it's just going to overwhelm them. And I think they should just uh, apologize to the people right now, say we got it wrong, whether it was intentional or not, just say we got it wrong and we want to start telling the truth. Yeah, I mean, you make a whole lot of sense there. I don't think I'm going to hold my breath for that. but (laughs) Well, then they're going to go under because people will just completely stop watching. I mean, they are stopped. They're not watching anyways. Yeah, they already are the equivalent of somebody that was at like a protest or something with a megaphone and then... (laughs) 
you're looking out your window and everybody else went home and they're still out there just yelling through their <laughs> megaphone and like, there's nobody out there. Just shut up. Nobody's listening to you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look at, look at even Tucker. Look how much he's woken up in the last yeah. year. He used to kick people off of his show that were like die hard into this whole stolen election thing. And last night, and part of his monologue talking about January 6th, he went into like this laughing part where he said, and then Joe Biden got 11 million more votes than Barack Obama did yeah. legitimately. And he's like, he says it wasn't legit. There's no way that happened. Yeah. And, and to see people like finally starting to come around a little bit, it's uh, well, I think regardless of what Kerry's going to release in the next couple weeks, it's not going to shock anybody on steak for breakfast, but hopefully a lot of those people who are on the fence. They start seeing this stuff and really start to do their own research and understand that there was a lot of stuff going behind the scenes and uh, we really do mm -hmm. need to get to the bottom of it. Kerry, you've proposed one of the most comprehensive border policies probably ever to combat the invasion that's going on down there at the U.S. southern border. Um, how is that plan continuing to evolve as your campaign moves forward? I know you've proposed a lot of things that are amazing. I've seen a lot of people in the state, everyone from senatorial candidates like Blake Masters to people who are running like on ticket with you, like Mark Fincham and Abe Amadei, who we had on for the first time last week. He's a brilliant young guy. And and a lot of the people running for house seats in Arizona are all starting to, you know, champion the stuff that you've proposed in regards to keeping Arizona safe again. We saw last night there was a group of over 800 illegal aliens that crossed the border into Arizona. Arizona and kind of swamped border patrol like they always do all at once. And uh, that's kind of where we're at. So how's that border policy coming along? And what are some of the things you're looking forward to do to make that border safe again in Arizona? I'm really proud of our border policy. It's called Defend Arizona. When I first got into this race a year ago, none of the Republican candidates were talking about what we could do to stop the invasion at the border. They wouldn't even call it an invasion. And they also weren't talking about our election. They wanted to avoid those uh, topics. We can't avoid those topics. They are so pressing and so concerning for the future uh, of Arizona and our country. So my plan calls for calling it what it is, which is an invasion. We will declare an invasion on our Arizona-Mexico border on day one of my administration. That's going to get the ball rolling with the federal government. I'm not afraid to take on the federal government. This is illegitimate government, what's happening right now with this man in the White House. And he's trying to destroy America, and we will not sit by idly and watch him destroy Arizona. We're taking back our sovereignty, and we're going to protect our people. We have the right to do that in Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution. When the government fails at protecting us, we can protect Arizona, and we will do that. We will finish constructing President Trump's wall project. There's about 20 miles left. We're going to finish it by taking back the abandoned federal property, the materials that we the people paid for to finish that wall. We're going to take it back and finish the construction. And while we're waiting for that construction to be finished, we're going to send our Arizona National Guard troops armed and down to the border. We're going to prevent people from coming across. We act like we're uh, we're caught flat footed and we didn't know that people were coming over. Mm -hmm. You know, all it takes is a drone to fly up and you can see where a big group is coming. You get advanced sight of where they're coming and you move the uh, boots on the ground to that area and you prevent people from coming across. We've handed over operational control of our border to the narco terrorists and the cartels. Just think about that for a minute. We don't have control of our border right now. It's in the hands of multinational criminals and terrorists. And we're not going to sit by and allow that to happen, not in Arizona. So we're going to take back that control. We're going to blow up the drug tunnels when we find them. And we're going to shoot down the cartel drones. And pretty soon they're going to realize, don't mess with Arizona. Do not come in through Arizona because it's going to be a living hell for you. 
And when we do that, they'll start going in maybe through California and New Mexico. And we're going to quickly teach those governors that you have to protect your people. Yeah, I, I think uh, New Mexico might be a little bit more fast <laughs> to get in line other than, uh, you know, they've already said Gavin Newsom's ridiculous primary win this week was was just enough to uh, kind of push him towards the 2024 presidential nominee for the Democrat Party, which we've been talking oh, about on this show. For months. Yeah, imagine awful. making imagine making America, California again. Ugh. Oof. Well, that's what that's what our, my Democrat opponent wants. Her idea of utopia is California. Oh, gosh. That California is the Petri dish for uh, the Democrat policy. Mm -hmm. And they've had complete control for decades over there. And they have run a once beautiful, thriving state into the ground. And now Joe Biden is going to start shipping off illegal aliens into California. Yep. Um, it's going to get really bad there. I'm just, you know, as you all know, yeah. it, the, the homeless situation is outrageous. Uh, I, I think I'm the only can I know I'm the only candidate in Arizona that has a policy to tackle our homeless issue and restore quality of life for the hardworking taxpaying people of Arizona, because we cannot allow our homeless situation to get to the level that it is in California. And we're on pace to have that happen if we don't tackle it head on. Yeah, it's definitely something that's it's definitely affecting so many different areas of life when you talk about quality of cities and stuff like that the homeless population the veterans the mental health and then uh, the rampant yeah. drug use and stuff like that it's well, just... you don't think the downtown district should smell like urine <laughs> <laughs> it certainly well, does you know it, it's not compassionate what we're doing no we're allowing people to to just uh lose their lives on the street. We're allowing them to continue abusing drugs and, and they've got mental illness. We're not helping them get treatment for that. We need to help people who are homeless and down and out and take them from the depths of despair, help them get back on their feet and become uh, contributing members of our society and live the life that God planned for them. I don't believe God has intentions to have people living in despair like that. And so for us to just have a policy where we enable that, is cruel. It's not compassionate. And you know who else it's not compassionate for? The hardworking people yep. who expect quality of life in their state, who pay taxes so that they can use their parks and not have to, uh, you know, run into people who are using drugs in their parks to step on a, a used needle. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to go downtown to catch a show or a game, eat a dinner out on a patio at a restaurant without being accosted. It's unfair for everybody. And, and my policy will help people get back on their feet and actually get the skills they need to be contributing members of society. It's a win, win, win for everybody. And it's all tied together too, because the homeless right. and the drug stuff, it, some of it stems from the ease of getting drugs, like us being the, ineffective at the border, stopping all this stuff from coming over is creating more addicts, moving more people onto the street, creating more crime because there's people that are stealing and robbing and doing whatever they have to get their next fix. It's all tied together. Yep. It's a vicious, vicious cycle. And it, you're right. It's all interrelated. And we have to, we have to make sure we secure our border. We've got to stop this fentanyl from coming in. It's coming in to poison us, not for drug overdose. I don't look at fentanyl. When they say a fentanyl overdose, I say, no, that was a poisoning because mm -hmm. I've met too many people who've taken a single pill that they thought was perhaps a Xanax or something like that. Yes. I met um, a family who lost their 22 year old daughter. She took a half a Xanax pill and it was laced with fentanyl. It killed her. Yeah. This is not an overdose. Nobody expects to take a single pill and die of an overdose. No. 
and it's weakening our uh, our young people. It's it's just heart wrenching to meet these families who've lost a loved one, a 19 year old son who takes a pill and dies. Think of what his life could, the joy his life could have brought to his family. Think of what he could have accomplished, how he could have helped um, his community. You just, all of that opportunity, all of that potential is gone. And is it, the, that light is just put out. And their whole family is affected and, and people don't realize how many people that one person, you know, is yeah. connected to. And then it's just like a ripple effect. I lost a, I lost my very close cousin last month because of that exact similar situation in Michigan. And I don't think people realize it's not just people that are doing drugs or that are drug addicts. It's like, yeah. That's, that's, I think really important to a point to get out Antoinette, that it isn't, you know, people go, Oh, I lost my son or I lost a relative or I lost a dear friend to a, uh, to fentanyl. And I think, that it's the confusion there is that, oh, they must have been a drug addict. Yep. This is not what we're talking about there's here. A, there's one time and it only takes one time. And there's yep. so many of those um, instances happening. I mean, too many. It's it's become a pandemic in itself. Mm-hmm. I, I call it a weapon of mass destruction because yep. we, we, we confiscated, uh, I think, five and a half tons last year. Mm-hmm. And you all know that the, the cartels only allow us to confiscate so much. Right. You know, they're not going to allow us to get it all. Right. I, I would guess they only allow us to get 5% or 10% of it. That means think how much got in. Mm-hmm. If we were yeah. able to, uh, to grab off the streets, five and a half tons, that, that means maybe 90 tons got in. Exactly. That's yep. enough to kill everybody many times over in this country. That's a weapon of mass destruction. Absolutely. You know, it's so amazing, Carrie. That's part of, I think that's one part of your platform. It's tackling that homeless population and, and the, all the issues that they're having down there where they've just been kind of cast away by a lot of the state governments across this country. And then you parlay that into the, to the war on like the opiate epidemic, the fentanyl coming across the border and how it ties into your border policy. We don't hear enough of it. And I'm glad you always come to, to talk about that on the show. We know it's something that means a lot to you. And uh, we're glad that we can give you that platform to talk about it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So moving forward, what events, rallies, debates, forums do you have planned coming up before the primary? And how can our listenership best get involved to help your campaign right now? Well, we thank you. That's a great question. We have a great event coming up tomorrow with Brandon Straka. He's the one who started the whole walk away movement. Remember mm-hmm. how big that oh, yeah. was? Oh, yeah. Remember how the yeah. media refused to cover it? Mm-hmm. Think about it if it was the other way around back when he started that. If people were walking away from the Republican Party, think about how big the media would have made a big deal oh, of that. Huge. So many people, millions of people have walked away from the Democrat Party. They're waking up to the dead end policies that lead to despair, that lead to economic um, uh, destruction and ruin, and that lead to just difficulty for families. And so they're walking away. I'm doing an event with him, um, which I'm really excited about. He's coming to town. I have a lot of events. I, I, I do meet and greets at people's homes, and we do anywhere from three to six events a day talking yeah. to people. Uh, I, I'm working with industry leaders, and I meet with them. You know, a lot of people say, wait a minute, you don't have business background. Um, how, how do we know that you are going to be a good governor? And I always try to tell them the tale of two governors. One of my favorite governors ever, Ronald Reagan, he came in and they accused him of being a Democrat activist in his past. And he woke up obviously to uh, the lies of the Democrat party. 
and they accuse him of being an actor who just read scripts. What does he know? He's an outsider. Well, you know what? We need outsiders right now because the people with so-called experience, whether it be political experience or business experience, the lobbyists, the lawyers, the people we usually elect into these positions, they're the ones that got us into this mess. We currently have a governor in Arizona who has business experience. He yep. was a CEO. And he shut down our businesses yeah. twice. <laughs> he shut down our state twice. So I don't know where that experience got us when our state was being shut down. Conversely, President, or I should call him Governor Reagan, when he was governor of California, he went in there, he won in a landslide, and he knew right from wrong. He was a leader. He was strong. He brought in a group of great people who were willing to put their private lives on hold and come in and help turn the state of California around. And they did it in short order. He was the greatest governor that state's ever seen. Yeah. They desperately need another person just like him in office there. And that's what you're going to get in me. Uh, you know, I, I, I loved Ronald Reagan's communication skills. He was able to take the problems that were facing California and explain it to the people very simply what we need to do to fix those problems. I think my communication background is very helpful in this time when people are very confused because we're getting mixed messages from the media versus what the truth is. Um, so I see myself as being a transformative governor and we're going to do really big things, really big things. I was flying over the Hoover Dam the other day. I almost got a lump in my throat thinking about the great men who designed that, who came up with that idea the great men who worked the construction scene to build that amazing dam. Yeah. We yeah. used to have big ideas, guys. We used to think of big ideas that were going to help all of the people. I think of the men like Carl Eller, who uh, he's an Arizona man who he came up with the idea of having the Palo Verde nuclear power plant and building that. We've lost those big thinkers. And we've nowadays, our uh, big ideas are how can we build a sports stadium and get the public to pay for it? Mm. <laughs> we got to think bigger than that. And the, and the public, the people are expecting us to think bigger. We've got to do big things. We're having a major change and a major shift in how this country is thinking. And I want to be that transformative governor who is not tied to anybody. I don't, I don't have any political favors on day one. I just am here representing the people and we're gonna do really big things for the people of Arizona. So I'm sorry, I, I rambled on there a bit, but um, we have all kinds of events. Um, you can go to our website and find what, find what we're doing. We have a rally coming up in Tucson uh, down the line a little bit. We're gonna be all over the state on July 4th. Um, we're just out with the people. I am all about listening to what the people of Arizona have to say, what their concerns are. And they're very concerned about this Joe Biden economy with this inflation, which yeah, is out of control. Out of control. And I think that's the best thing you said right there was, is that you aren't tied to anything except the special interests of the people of Arizona. <laughs> that's, you know, that's when people run for office, that should be the only special interest they're worried about. And the only one that people could make accusations that they're, uh, you know, tied to. So I think you're doing an amazing job, Carrie. We love having you on the show. We're going to look to, of course, have you back either before the primary in a couple months we're, we're under two months right now, or, or definitely right after before the, uh, the primary elections in November. But, uh, we want to be able awesome. to direct all our listenership to find you. So can you give us our, your website one more time and anywhere on social yeah. media? Absolutely. Carrylake.com, K-A-R-I-L-A-K-E.com. We're hoping that uh, we get a visit hopefully soon from President Trump. I know that he is very, um, he's got his eyes on Arizona. 
We are at the center of the universe right now when it comes to two very important stories, that wide open border and um, the corrupt elections. And when I'm governor, we will turn our elections around. We want honest elections. We don't want any fair unfair advantage. We're not asking for the Republicans to get unfair advantage. We just want fair, honest elections. So we go to bed on election night and we can live with the results. We know that they were fair. And that's what we're going to get to here. Have a secure border, safe streets, and Arizona will be the envy of the nation. And I'm so looking forward to having the vote on August 2nd. Arizonans need to get out there and vote August 2nd. Tell all your friends and neighbors to get out and vote August 2nd. And we're going to win this in a landslide. Yeah, we'll be sharing that all over our social medias and continuing to track you as we always do. Carrie, just one more thing. It's, it's, okay. a, it's, a, little, it's a little thing. So in the past couple of weeks, we've picked up some endorsements here on Steak for Breakfast. Cash Patel. Rick Rennell, Amanda Milius. Who else we got? Anybody good? I can't remember. We're going to take Liz uh, Liz Harrington to task. She's coming on next Tuesday. Last week it was Christina Bob who have fully and totally endorsed our podcast. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know you were taking endorsements. I would have endorsed you months ago. <laughs> Neither did we until Amanda uh, brought it up. But do we have the full and total endorsement of the future governor of Arizona? You have my complete and total endorsement. I love this podcast. Um, I love that you are pro-America and you want to make sure that America stays strong and stays the beacon of hope and freedom across the globe. And we will do that. We got to work saving each individual state, though, right now and and then bring somebody back um, to run this country who actually has a fully functioning brain. <laughs> no, no you, you, you say and that. I suggest president. I suggest President Donald J. Trump. He uh, he won that election and he shouldn't even have to run again. But he will run again, and he will win, and I think he'll come back with a vengeance, and we'll get thing, we'll get the ship righted. He sure will. And you know what Christina Bob said last week? If he makes it to an event out there, she's going to go. We're going to meet her, and we're all going to hang out. So it looks yes. like we'll be uh, we'll be having some drinks together at some point in the near future. This is awesome. This is the uh, future governor of Arizona running America first candidate, um, endorsed by President Trump and one of our favorite guests, Miss Carrie Lakes. Thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast today. Thank you so much. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. All right, coming in next on the show today, big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's back again with us yet again. The Trump-endorsed America First congressional candidate, tired Green Beret, great friend of the show, running in Washington 3. Joe Kent, thanks for uh, joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Yeah, guys, always good to be here. Good to see you. It's our pleasure, and believe us, you're one of our favorite guests to have on. We always have a great conversation when you come down. How's everything going on the campaign trail, Joe? It's good. It's busy. We're definitely at uh, crunch time. The ballots get dropped uh, the 15th of July, and then the final day is August 2nd. So we're uh, we're hitting it hard. Not that we ever really weren't hitting it hard, but we're, we're trying to hit it even harder now, doing about four or five uh, in-person town halls throughout the district and then media and, and fundraising and all that. We just hit our uh, – we just knocked on our – well over our 50,000th door the other day. So wow. we're out there banging on doors too. That's amazing. And and how's the reception been from the people out there? I could tell by following you on social media, a lot of the events you go to are packed, but you're, you're down there right with the crowd. You're shaking hands. You're talking directly to them about the issues. You know, this whole country is, uh, we just had the inflation numbers break today and they were worse than they thought they were going to be. Imagine that. Weird. And, uh, you know, the toes are at the line for this country right now and heading into a major recession, probably one we haven't seen as bad, maybe worse since World War II. And uh, it's got to be a real big concern to the people out there in Washington. No, it, it really is. I mean, we're, we're feeling it every day out here. We're just like probably you guys down there. You guys might have it worse in California, but we're, we're sitting at about well over five, approaching the $6 a gallon mark 
uh, for gas. And that obviously inflates the price of everything. And so people are, are really concerned. I mean, there's a lot of anger. People are furious because they realize that, you know, 16, 17 months ago, we weren't living through this, even though we were still dealing with COVID. Um, we weren't dealing with this massive amount of inflation. They know that this is all because of what the Biden regime is doing. And they just see the fact that, hey, our ruling class just doesn't care. They're either sending money to Ukraine or they're having their made for TV miniseries yesterday about January 6th. And I, I tell people all the time, because we're doing so many in-person events, I'm like, hey, I appreciate you guys even driving out here because it probably cost you. We live in a, in a rural community for the most part. It probably cost you 10, 15 bucks just to get to this town hall today. Um, so, you know, people are just they're just fired up. They've had enough of it. No, you, you you make a lot of sense there. We're at six bucks a gallon, aren't we? Six, California? Six sixty nine I paid yesterday. Six sixty nine. Regular. Yeah. Here Brutal. in uh Vegas as well. Brutal. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy and like and, filling up my motorcycle feels like I'm filling up my car now. Yeah. So For yeah, sure. thirty, forty bucks to fill up a motorcycle, it's crazy. That's yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Joe, you, you mentioned uh, you know, the clown show that was going on last night, the unselect committee live primetime event, nothing burger. A whole bunch of false and manipulated testimonies. We all saw you jump on Tucker and and elaborate on that last night with him, which was a great episode and segment uh, from you. You want to let our listenership in right now? Just listen, optics wise, you've been in the business for a long time. You know what all this psyop and BS stuff goes on with these po- politicians and what they're trying to take the attention away from. You want to let our listenership know what you're seeing from this and and legitimately where you think it's going. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to dismiss uh, January 6th because it is a clown show. It is a made-for-TV kangaroo trial, um, and, and it is a massive distraction from everything that we just discussed that, that's affecting Americans every single day on the ground. There's there's definitely that factor that I think can't be overlooked, but J6 is a big deal because that narrative about the insurrection has been used to really target Trump supporters um, or anybody who's really just unhappy with the way things in the country are, uh, it's been used by our national security state to target them. Not only have the people that were present on the ground in January 6th been scooped up and thrown into political dungeons, deprived of their constitutional rights, we've somehow normalized that. There's only a handful of people that are consistently calling that out. But this, right. this happened. It's still going on. And our ruling class is really just letting it happen. And the Republicans, by, by and large, there's some great exceptions like Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, yeah. Paul Gosar. Um, there's some fighters out there. But by and large, the Republicans. Republicans have just let this happen as well. So January 6th is a big deal because of that weaponization of the narrative and the national security state. And also, you know, we brought this up on Tucker last night and, and credit to Tucker for even touching this on a uh, primetime, you know, network news show. The reason why January 6th happened in the first place is because the, the election had major discrepancies. I'm, I'm comfortable with saying it was rigged and stolen. However, I want to be able to lay out all the facts that still hasn't happened. And there's right. a majority of Americans right now who I think don't have confidence in our elections anymore. They don't have confidence in our institutions anymore. So our entire system is crumbling and eroding. Meanwhile, all the ruling class wants to do is have these like made for television shows. They don't want to deal with any of the problems that are actually affecting Americans. So it's, I think it's something that we, uh, unfortunately we can't look away and just say, oh, this is all a distraction. Uh, We have to go on the offense against it and and not tolerate Republicans who refuse to fight the woman that I'm running against. Not only did she jump right in the bandwagon of the insurrection narrative and vote for impeachment, she also voted for the formation of the January 6th committee, which I I think is a major problem. And then she voted to uh, hold Steve Bannon, Peter Navarro, Mark Meadows, people that weren't even, they weren't even on the ground January 6th to hold them in contempt and really weaponize the legislature against them. So 
there's a, there's a lot going on there. And I think we have a lot of hard work to do ahead of us. Sure. That, you know, there's a huge component there that I brought it up on social media last night. I threw it out on our Twitter and then on our true social feeds. And the fact of the matter is I don't think we would have ever gotten to this primetime event. If, if Republicans actually showed some kind of a spine, they stood up at exactly the beginning and said, listen, there are some things here, vandalism, trespassing, uh, hitting police officers, some of the bad stuff that happened. Cool. Let's focus on that. Let's all work together. But the fact of the matter is, the establishment GOP, the House of Republicans, the House Senators, Ronald McDaniel, and everybody else that's involved in leadership over there wouldn't countersuit, wouldn't counter-investigate, wouldn't threaten to go after them legally and personally and make their lives a living hell like they've done for us. They've already gotten rid of Madison Cawthorn. They're going after Marjorie Taylor Greene and Dr. Gosar. They have been from day one. They made Jim Banks and Jim Jordan look completely irrelevant by kicking them off the committee and not even giving them a fair shake. And it's like, what is it going to take, guys? It's like we're literally at the back... You know, you have Republicans going on like Fox News this morning and crying like, oh, this is all an attempt to eventually abolish the Electoral College. Okay, that might be part of the end game, but listen, we wouldn't be anywhere near this place if someone in Washington, D.C. on the Republican side of anything showed a spine over the course of the last year and a half. Yeah, no, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And that's why I think these primaries are, are absolutely crucial just to hold the Republicans accountable. I think the the ones that are actually out there fighting for the truth and fighting for their constituents, those are the guys we need to reward. But as far as putting people in leadership and then even giving them a, a second chance at, at at their seat, I think a lot of them just forfeited that right. They've been rolling over to the left. They've been rolling over to the weaponization of the national security state. And here we are. And a lot of it goes back to who would fight for the, the election um, of 2020, who would actually fight to adjudicate that. And there was there were still very few congressmen and senators on the Republican side who would fight for that. And a lot of them got shamed um, out of even asking very basic questions. There's few of them that will still bring this up. But it's these are very prescient issues, I think, with with most Americans right now. Yeah, we have all this stuff going on in our country. And I think like when you look at uh, leadership in the Senate, Lindsey Graham, Bernie Sanders d- debate in primetime tonight, like who honestly gives a crap about that when the inflation rate came out today and it's 9% across the nation? We in California, we're close to like 30% across the board. Like gas is almost seven dollars a yeah. gallon. Eggs cost nine dollars for eighteen eggs here. Milk yeah. six, seven dollars a gallon. Like we're absolutely getting destroyed out here. And and Lindsey Graham and Bernie Sanders are going to go and make fun of each other in like a debate on primetime television tonight. I am once again asking for your financial support. There is no more financial support. <laughs> we're all poor. But uh, exactly. And I don't really know what those two disagree on. I mean, really no. get down to it. When you get down to the policy, like what any of them that have been in office for that long, they really pretty much agree. They're going to go have a steak and a beer at the end of that. Yeah, that they're going to high five. Just... Bernie will say some, some crazy socialist stuff. And then Lindsey Graham might say like some, you know, conservative one-on-one nonsense. But then after that, Lindsey will say, well, you know, I, I kind of wish more Trump supporters would have gotten shot on January 6th. So Yeesh. good game, Bernie. I'll see you next time. Like it's, it's all theater. No, it is. It's the absolute truth. I mean, you can't find a bigger warmonger other than like Liz Cheney and Hillary Clinton, then Lindsey Graham. Literally, he used Afghanistan as like a 21 year experience or experiment for all the things he wanted to do with the military industrial complex. And then you have Bernie Sanders, who is a big appreciator of what countries are like after their war torn when socialism takes over. So they, they like perfectly complement right. each other. I don't see anything getting done to solve any of the problems, which is the big deal right now with these midterm elections. Joe, you, you mentioned a couple of things about your. Uh, you know, your primary challenger and, and we really got to take her to task. What's going on there? And uh, what are some of the things you have coming up between now and August 2nd? You have any rallies? You have any debates scheduled forums? 
Yeah, we're basically having uh, rallies or town halls uh, most nights of the week. So if people go to JoeKenforCongress.com or follow me on social media, you'll you'll see where we're putting those up. We're all over the district. Uh, heavy emphasis on our more populated district down in Clark County, but that doesn't mean we're neglecting the rural ones. We're out there quite a bit as well. Um, so we get those jammed up. But then also my my uh, policy from day one has been that I will stop what I'm doing and show up and debate um, Jamie Herrera Butler, the incumbent at the time and place of her choosing with the moderator of her choosing. And she has yet to take me up on that. I mean, she hasn't done an in-person town hall in the district in like six years. So she's really just hiding behind these. Uh, she's actually abusing her franking privileges. So she's sending out campaign mailers uh, on our taxpayer dollar. That's her entire strategy right now. Um, I'm sure there's some attack ads that'll get ran, but I'm happy to debate her anytime I put that out. We've done a handful of uh, candidate forms for all the different Republican challengers. Um, I'm also hoping to debate the Democrat in the race. The Democrats have done some consolidation. Um, so there's now only one Democrat in the race. So we've thrown out the challenge uh, to her, her, the guy that actually dropped out and endorsed her. He, he debated me a couple of times. I, I fundamentally disagree with him on most issues. However, he would show up and fight. So I actually had some respect for him. Uh, the woman that uh, they're all trying to consolidate around, she likes to call me a white nationalist pretty much every day on oh, Twitter, wow. but uh, she won't actually go and debate me. So, you know, standing by for those debates, uh, I'm not holding my breath or anything, uh, but yeah, we're going to continue the pace of rallies and chances are, if you're in the district, you're going to see me or somebody in a Joe Kent t-shirt on your front door, handing you some candy campaign literature and inviting you to, to a town hall. Yeah, you don't have to worry about those attack ads and uh, mailers that she's getting sent out. I'm sure Kevin McCarthy will pick up the bill for all those. Mm. So exactly. I'm, I'm telling you, Joe, they're terrified. They're terrified of what's going on right now. You see the attacks are ramping up, like the complete non-paying attention to anything that's affecting the people that are actually going to go out and vote in these midterm elections right now, and just the pedal to the floor versus anyone who's with the America First agenda right now seems like the Democrats only worry, only care. They know they're about to lose power and they're about to lose it big time. So they're going to try and go out with the biggest bang possible. And and they've directed a lot of that hatred and stuff from both sides of the aisle towards your campaign up there in Washington. And you've kind of like flown above it. You've ran an amazing campaign so far. We're, we're going to continue to track you and support you wherever you go. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to getting you in there in that house seat in Washington three in the fall. So uh, we want to be able to direct our listenership to follow you uh, everywhere that they can, whether it be on social media and your campaign website. If you live in Washington, if you live in the district or you want to spend a little extra gas money and go up there and help Joe knock on doors, please do so. But can you give us uh, all the places we could find Joe Kent? Yeah, Joe Kent for Congress.com is, is the touch point. If people can give me five, 10, 15 bucks, I'm not taking any corporate PAC money and I'm running against not just the Rhino establishment, but also the far left. That helps. And then pretty much on all social media, Joe Kent for Congress or uh, Joe Kent 16 Jan 19 is where you can find me on Twitter, Gitter, uh, Truth Social Gab, all that. So pretty much everywhere, but Joe Kent for Congress.com is the, is the touch point. Yeah, we've seen a lot of rhinos already like sneak over the finish line. A couple of races, Chris Smith, for example, out in New Jersey three. You know, he made it through his primary. Yeah. Mike Crispy was a a really good challenger there, and I feel like he's going to come back stronger than ever. This will probably be Chris Smith's last term because he had to actually work for the first time in forty years, so he's probably going to retire after yeah, this he's, one. He's tired. But but the fact of the matter is, we can't like continue to let ones like Herrera Butler continue to skate by just based off of the fact that she's already in Washington D.C. and continue to do so. Things that only sabotage the American people. I think that's where Joe, people like Joe Kennedy are the big counterparts there. And uh, like I said, we're going to be supporting you all the way out and all the way up through the August 2nd primary. So we're going to live link everything that's uh, directed to your campaign social medias in our uh, show description today, Joe. And of course, after the primary, when you're the nominee and uh, heading into the general elections, we're going to look to circle back and have you on the show for a full update of everything that's going on. 
Absolutely. Looking forward to it, guys. Thank you. Oh, thank you for taking some time to uh, spend with us today on this big Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. This is the America First Trump-endorsed Republican candidate running in Washington 3, Mr. Joe Kent. Thanks for joining us on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right, jumping in with us today to do the news. We've got some very special guests, part of the uh, Patriotic Meme Alliance, etc. online, usually dropping the fire. Uh, first one I'm going to introduce right now, out of two of our favorite accounts, Not Far Out. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, of course, we've got coming with you today, Republican Actual, also making his first appearance on the show. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, no, the pleasure is all ours. Guys, how are you doing? Doing good today. Yeah. Uh, pretty good. The uh, Watched the January 6th hearings last night. That was kind of uh, uh, distressing, a little bit like Clockwork Orange, watching <laughs> propaganda be shoved down your throat. But, oh, uh, you know, you can get over it. I think a lot of people are getting over it when you uh, – you know, we talked about with some of our guests today some of the uh, things that resonate with voters and uh, the legacy media forced upon the public. January 6th was up there in the top six, but in the actual voters who were polled, it's not even anywhere close. Yeah, so. I'm changing it back to Golden Girls. Zero fucks. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, we did have some breaking news today to start the day. Uh, unfortunately, it's not good news. We uh, Before we get into as the Biden world turns, I guess we'll put the cherry on top to start and get ahead of ourselves. Let's hear a clip about how uh, just good the economy's doing. Yeah. Yes, we are awaiting the May CPI and uh, 1% on the headline number, up 1%. That's definitely hotter than the three quarters of 1% we were looking for. The high watermark there was up 1.2 in March, so we're close. And that 1.2 was a 17-year high going back to 2005. Strip out the all-important food and energy, it's still hotter than expectations, up six-tenths of 1%. It equals our look in last month, and to put a face on it, the high water mark here was all the way back in April of last year, up nine tenths. That was a four decade high. But remember, both these are hotter than expected. Year over year, these are the money ball numbers. Year over year headline. 8.6, a new cycle high usurping March, which was 8.5. That was the highest since 1981. Now, 8.6 uh, continues to be the highest since 81 because uh, the comp there is 8.9 to 11.8%. And if we look at year-over-year year core, also hotter than expectations, up 6%, following 6.2%, high water mark there, 6.5, and that was in March, and that was the highest since 1982. But remember, even at 6%, uh, it, coming down from uh, the high watermark of 6.5, that standalone is still the highest since 1982. So these are super stubborn numbers. And our panel, our esteemed panel, ha- has lots of brain power there, and they go in lots of categories, Joe, as to why inflation's here, the all of the above mention. I will say that out of all the all of the above, Energy, energy, energy. And, you know, there's so many comments here about, oh, the administration can only do so much. You know what? We all said that about the Fed. 
And then there's this thing called forward guidance. So the Fed gets the market to do things long before it takes action by telling them what's in their head, what lies down the road. What was the forward guidance with this administration on energy? We know the answer. Maybe they can't get things to happen faster, but by giving positive forward guidance, by not closing pipelines, by not talking pre-election about how much they don't like fossil fuel, maybe things would have turned out a bit different. Joe? Well, so that's horrible. Worse than numbers than predicted. They were hoping for around 8.1. They got 8.6. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, the worst number since 1981 and 2. Uh, we're just entering the summer months now where we're just about ready to finish heating our homes and, and look to start cooling them. And energy prices are still set to skyrocket over the next two months when it's the highest travel seasons of the year. So, um, not far out. What part of the country are you in? Well, I'm in Canada, so mm. I'm in kind of the they would refer to as the West. Okay, so you can't use West Coast Survival Arms as a promo code because our license <laughs> FFL is no longer to deal with allowed to deal with Canada. <laughs> mm. Republican actual. What about you? Where where do we, you reign from? Uh, I'm on the East Coast of the U.S. Um, I actually work in the energy industry, so I'm pretty familiar with these issues. Uh, I don't even believe their headline inflation number 8.6 is probably a lie. It uh, is. I feel like a lot of the people running our economic agencies now are some of the same people who've been putting out Chinese GDP numbers for a long time. And, uh, you know, they have a tendency to kind of massage them a little bit. So I think the real inflation number is more like 15, 16%. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say it was going to be between 14 and 16%. I mean, just look in California, if you look at the totality of all the numbers across the board from energy all the way up through food and, and all the other stuff in between, we're, we're sitting at about 24% out here. Uh, reflection of uh, from the last year of the Trump administration. So we're absolutely getting creamed. And uh, so is a lot of the country. It doesn't look like it's going to get any better. Uh, I doubt Joe Biden's going to do anything in regards to firing Janet Yellen. Whether or not she decides to eventually step down is completely, you know, going to be up to uh, them. But it seems like the war on energy is in full swing. And uh, even though they know they're going to get swamped at the ballot box in November, they're going to continue that burn it down method that they could honestly care less. They'd rather talk about January 6th and the fact that you can't drive to work. Uh-huh. I think it's honestly more important to them like to damage the economy than it is to win elections. So they don't care about the gas prices. It's it's all sort of intentional. And they they went after all of these America first people from the Trump administration for now almost seven years. And they they just all they're going to reap from it is is two years of this. Yeah. Good good job. All that for a drop of blood. (laughs) So it's it's pretty damn sad. Uh, Tucker Carlson was wondering two nights ago where Joe Biden was. I I thought this was a uh, pretty good clip as the country continues to burn. Let's hear him. It can to encourage huge waves of illegal aliens to continue into this country. They're still fighting to end Title 42. That is the last line of defense against just fully open borders. A caravan of at least 15,000 people has formed. It is headed here. It's getting bigger every day. Ali Bradley is an independent journalist we just spoke to on another story. Did great work on that. So we wanted to ask her what she's found in covering this story. Allie, great to see you again. So tell us about this caravan. 
So, Tucker, this caravan, it only lasted about two days, realistically, and they only made it about 26 miles. It started in Tapachula, as you mentioned, about 15,000 strong, with a very familiar face. Let's take a look at some video here that we have from another journalist that has boots on the ground down there. And this is Luis Villagran explaining that they are all getting humanitarian visas over the next couple of days. They're going to be able to transit freely through Mexico. And what that really means is they're going to be able to go fast past right to the U.S.-Mexico border. And from there, they'll claim asylum. So we have some other video where this did start yesterday in Tapachula, as I mentioned. They only made about 26 miles. I walked with a caravan back in October. They made it about 100 miles before that humanitarian visa really landed in their lap and gave them the opportunity to cross our border. It's, it, it, is there any stopping this? And uh, compound question, and where's the Mexican government in this? So the Mexican government, you know, they kind of act like we are doing something. We're allowing them to stay and work in Mexico with this humanitarian visa. But again, all it is is really allowing them to bypass these checkpoints that they're going to inevitably hit and need immigration papers for. The caravan kind of protected them. But now they have these humanitarian visas. They can get on a bus, a plane, whatever they need to do in order to get to our southern border. Amazing. The economy in Mexico was wholly dependent on the United States. We could stop this tomorrow, but we mm. don't. Allie Bradley, appreciate well, That's a good fact from Tucker Carlson right there. I mean, you know, we, we have seen over the course of the last week, Jorge Ventura touched on it. He's going to be joining us here in, a, in about a week or so. And uh, so the new thing is the NGOs are working to get these humanitarian visas to all the migrants who are coming up through Mexico. And what they're doing is they're dispersing them because they have such a bad taste in their mouth from the migrant caravans that all came up in, back in 2019 that they don't want the optics of that again. They don't want the Del Rio under the bridge from a year and a half ago either ever to be recreated. So what they're doing is these passes basically, like she said, they, it allows them to walk freely through Mexico, transit through the country, uh, avoid government checkpoints. Uh, but it also disperses them, so it's the same amount of people. They're just coming across and like oh, it's camouflage. Yeah, targeted little little assaults on the border. We saw one last night. We talked with Miss Carrie Lake this morning, and she was telling us that uh, you know we we talked about the eight, group of eight hundred that crossed last night through through a whole in the uncompleted border wall down there in the Yuma sector, and um, you know her plan to combat that, but. Uh, what do you guys think? You know, this this migrant crisis isn't getting any better, and it seems like it's only getting worse over the summer. They're still trying to get rid of Title 42. We know legally they've done some things through backdoor dealings and through the courts that essentially end it for a lot of different countries. So people from Russia, people from Ukraine, people from uh, northern Africa, they could pretty much just cross into the country and not have to worry about any of those regulations. Yeah, it's just extremely frustrating. I, 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 I don't know why there isn't more being done about this. I mean, that's a big part of what I think Carrie Lake has made into her campaign is like making sure she's going to take this head on. And she, she's, she's really interesting. To listen to, I listened to your on her show on your guys' show just the, the other week. And she's just not afraid at all to say what, exactly what she means. Like she's going to take this really seriously. She's going to, she's going to build the wall. She's going to. And I, I think that's just the right approach for any governor along the border states we've kind of taking right now. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of similar to what they've been doing in Europe for a long time. I mean, it's sort of population replacement and there's all kinds of other issues that they can, uh, you know, sort of contribute towards with an open border, right? Like they can do intelligence operations, they can bring in weapons, they can bring in drugs. Um, so there's a lot more to it than just, you know, kind of the humanitarian issues. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a big national security issue and it's like critical to the to the left and I guess to sort of the, the WEF 
New World Order sort of folks sure. uh, to be able to have an open border there. And they pulled the same kind of move with the Syrian refugees back in like 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they're trying to sort of accelerate that in America. It's sort of part of the, the overarching plan they have for us. Yeah, I saw that happening when I was living in Spain and parts of Europe mm-hmm. in 2014, 2015. And in Madrid, at this one really massive landmark and a huge sign, it said, Refugees Welcome. And I was just like, okay, cool. Um, but then I started to see what was really happening. And I was like, wow, this is not good. This is not good. No, I mean, Raheem Kassams yeah. wrote a couple best-selling books about the no-go zones and we've had guests on the show who talk about you know their historical family towns no longer exist because Mm -hmm. they've turned into migrant shantyvilles uh in places like the uk so it's one of those things listen we didn't even have time to bitch about enough how many (sighs) afghan refugees they were letting in here before the russians and ukrainians started coming and it's like we've let a, a couple hundred thousand of the afghan refugees come in here we didn't even remember them anymore now it's all these other countries that are coming in here, you know, over 140 countries worth of people and, and over 2 million, if you include the gotaways, have already been released in the United States since the start of the Biden administration. And that's just what they're telling us. See, that's the thing is like, I think it's just like bombarding us with so many issues. Like we yeah. don't even have time. Like I, I, me as a memer, like I can barely keep up. There's something <laughs> new every single day. Sure. It's absolutely wild. And I, I sometimes just get completely burnt out. I'm like, I'm sitting this one out like I, I can't do anything today there's yeah. like 10 things that are happening at the moment and i'm just like i can't keep up with it i mean what does it even matter anyways sometimes i get that feeling and uh yeah it's just it's just uh, uh i feel like i cut out there for a sec no we heard you that's okay. why i have to make 12 slide reels because there's so many <laughs> damn issues to cover you need 12 uh means yes. in order to cover everything that happened that day see that's um, exactly like that's a really good idea what you're doing there but with the afghan refugees the reason you haven't heard anything about it is it takes the cia some time to train them for their false flag attacks so i'm sure we'll be hearing more from them soon i mean the summers are usually hot and i couldn't think of being hotter with a couple of those guys this summer yeah exactly well, in a town near you <laughs> we need to get Jim Bognett on here. He's, he, listen, he's one of the guys that won his primary out in Pennsylvania 8, and he blew the lid off that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on with us, and he said that they flew. So they had like a, what is it called? Like one of those youth centers like where they teach you how to do jobs, Job Corps, uh, in, in a small rural town in Pennsylvania. They kicked everybody out of it. They ended the program. They flew 500 Afghan refugees, housed them there. No security, no fences, no federal anything. And they just kind of like – got food and got shelter and a place to shower. And now they're like occupying this old job core facility and wandering around the town, like in rural Pennsylvania a town that you said there was like 18,000 people there and they just dropped 500 Afghan refugee families in there and said, all right, here's the American dream. Wasn't there, wasn't there a few instances or incidents from that like particular area of rape? Like those, those dudes, and end of crimes. There, there was yeah, definitely yeah, sexual sexual assaults and then some some crimes like robbery and burglaries and stuff like that. And I mean, that's just the stuff that's getting reported on. We we that's all know insane. it's insane. Yeah, and you think and you can when you, and that's when you send them into a, a town that's that small, like everybody's gonna know exactly what's going on. None of this stuff yeah. is gonna get missed. It might get swept under the rug because it won't get covered. But I mean, everybody in that town definitely knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like you, you aren't fooling them. And then that word of mouth is going to spread and people are going to hear about it one way or the other. And imagine like the shock, you know, of 
like all those people in such a change, you know, of culture, you such know, for change. people, it, it does feel like an invasion, especially if you're in a small town like that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely got to be scary, scary. For, for for more reasons than one. Well, what was also scary was two nights ago when Joe Biden jumped on with Jimmy Kimmel. Even though it had been nearly 120 days since he sat down with anybody from the press pool, he <laughs> oh, decided Lord. to go on Mr. Carl Malone Blackface himself show <laughs> to uh, yeah to discuss some things, uh, you know, the things that only the in things. a way Joe Biden could do. Let's hear some of the uh, choice cuts from there. Wow. No so, question. So there's about a it. lot of major things we've done, but what we haven't done is we haven't been able to communicate it in a way that is. Uh, um, let me say it another way. Well, see, that's kind of perfect. Communicated yeah, well, in a way. Able to communicate. But it look how way. the press has changed. Mm -hmm. Look how the press has changed. It has changed. Oh, listen, it, I, it, I get it. I know you get. You overstand it. Yeah. You don't just understand it. You overstand it. <laughs> but here's the deal. One of the things is that it's very difficult now. To have a, um, even with, with notable exceptions, even the really good yeah, reporters, yeah. they have to get the number of clicks on, on, the, on nightly news. Mm -hmm. So instead of asking a question, anyway, it just, everything gets, gets sensationalized in ways that, but I'm convinced we can get through this. We have to get through it. And one of the things, look. I'm going to take a break, and then we'll talk a little bit more, I don't if you don't mind. You. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, we have some of those commercials. We have some biracial commercials. She cuts off the president. <laughs> he literally had to cut him off because he was just so far off the rails. Yeah, they were like, all right, but just let him anyway. <laughs> let him talk for like 30 seconds and then try to deflect. And then he was just like flabbergasted by how asinine he was sounding. Just like, okay, we're going to go to commercial. He tried to circle back to what he wanted to say, and he couldn't figure out. Like, he forgot about it as soon as he forgot started talking. Completely. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, you see him like slouching down in the chair and putting up his hands. Like, it was almost like Joe Biden was saying, like, I'm dying Help here, me. please. Yeah. Drop the curtain or something. Where's the house band? Um, Even from the very get go, like when I, when I watched him walk out and he does this like weirdly awkward salute to Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel doesn't even give him one back. Like I found that very interaction to be very strange right from yeah, the get go. It's so odd. Why the hell is he so <laughs> Jimmy in the first place? Mm, well, they did touch on some issues. One of the hot ones in, in, in the Beltway last week was that bill that passed in the house, which would, you know, have certain restrictions on gun. It would raise the age to buy a rifle of two from 18 to 21. It would also put some kind of capacity on the amount of, uh, well, mag capacity that you could have and things like that. Uh, he asked Joe Biden why he hadn't done this through executive order yet. Let's hear him. Executive order. Trump passed those out like Halloween candy. Yes, sir. It, well, isn't that something that could happen? Well, I, I, I have issued executive oh, orders within the power of the presidency to be able to deal with these everything having to do with guns gun ownership whether or not you have to have a waiting all, all the things are within my power but what i don't want to do and i'm not being facetious i don't want to emulate trump's abuse of the constitution and the constitutional card such a lie and and so and i mean that sincerely because i often get asked look the republicans don't play it square why do you play it square yeah well, well guess what if we do the same thing they do our democracy will literally be in jeopardy well, I mean, yeah, not a joke. And I, I understand that argument, but also it's like you're playing Monopoly with somebody who, you know, won't pass go and won't follow any of the rules. And how do you ever make any progress if they're not following the rules? Well, you got to send even... them to jail, uh, you know. What? There's that little box yeah. directly to jail. <laughs> and you know they do projection. They do do the best projections. And jailing your I political mean... opponents is something that, you know, the, the Democrats are all huge fans of. I think... Uh, 
So I did a little fact check on Joe Biden. We're we're just about fifteen. <laughs> How months, many? Just in regards to this issue with the executive order, because he said Donald Trump abused like his power with it. So Donald Trump had a total over the course of his presidency of two hundred and twenty. He issued a flurry of them towards the end to protect some of the deregulation things he did yeah. in an attempt to preserve the energy industry as we had moved on to independence um, in the last year and a half of the Trump administration. So. Meaningful ones throughout the course of the four years. We're talking like 185-ish, but the total number is 220. Let's not get away from that. We're 15 months into the Biden administration. He's currently at 91, which would put him on pace to smash Donald Trump's record of 220 mm. executive right. orders. But he's talking about how Donald Trump, he said he abused Hand his power. like candy. Halloween candy. <laughs> and so, how many of those like took place in the very first couple of days of his administration? Exactly. Yep. I was just going to say that. Yeah, it's, the, it's like it's 40-something, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really high. The beginning, yeah, the beginning and end of the Trump administration were, were all aimed at deregulations and making sure it, it was to pretty much put a safeguard in the economy that, you know, we had become energy independent or were at least strongly moving in that direction. And Joe Biden went and canceled them with his like 70 executive orders on the first day of work. So it's one of those things where, you know, projection is like their best tool. And you talked about jailing political opponents and then lied about executive order numbers. And uh, I think the best part of that was that he talked about who one of his best friends up on Capitol Hill was. You'll never believe it, but I'm sure everybody's eyes are going to be well, rolling. I th many of them do. Uh, you know, I get in trouble for saying this, but uh, I get on. Uh, we have very different views on a lot of things, but I, uh, I've always had a straight relationship with uh, with the majority with the Republican leader, Mitch McConnell. Mm. I wonder why. He's a guy I that you when have. he says something, he means it. Mm. I disagree with a lot of what he says, but he means it. You know, I, I don't think he could yeah, ever say. China's bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did, did you? Do you think he could say he could have a straight relationship with Lindsey Graham, though? I was just. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> oh man, Lady G, how we love him. Um, when when he started that sentence, I I did think he might have went in that direction. I, I wasn't I'm sure saying, what he was going to say. I was. I thought maybe he would. He might be saying uh, Lindsey first, but I wasn't surprised with McConnell. It makes no. sense, obviously. Yeah, of course. You know. I just I just don't understand how these guys like Mitch McConnell, why is he in that position? Like, can you guys actually answer that question? Like, I I don't understand why he's the guy. Yeah, no, it, you could say that about like 90 percent of Republican politicians. Yes. Like, they, you know, there's either blackmail or they're bought or something, but they are certainly not working for us. Um, you know, so I think a big part of what we need to do is primary those folks, especially folks like Mitch McConnell and Mitt Romney. Like, are you kidding me? They're they're going to implement like a thousand percent tax on AR-15s. They're mm -hmm. going to ban you from being able to clean guns at home. Uh, and this is part of their whole sort of Orwellian upside down, you know, twisting of language where they accuse us of doing what they themselves are doing. Uh, you know, he's saying we're we're violating the Constitution. I'm sorry. Like, what a ridiculous thing to say. I know. Um, they've created this kind of like paradigm of unreality where up is down. Uh, you know, we're the ones who did the insurrection when they stole the election. Uh, we're the ones who violate the Constitution when their whole worldview and philosophy is about violating our individual rights. So it's just you kind of have to reject everything they say and assume the opposite. I think you said it really well. That's exactly how it is. It's just like you just can't trust a single word that they they say the, the entire episode there. And I told Steak for Breakfast that there I, that I was going to try to watch this interview with Jimmy Kimmel because mm. I knew we'd be talking about it. I couldn't get through it. I cannot tolerate listening to liars lie. Especially when they know they're lying. I can't do it. I have just no stomach for it. I can just skip ahead, skip ahead. And I can be like, oh, they're going to bullshit about this. I already know what their bullshit is going to be. Skip ahead to the next thing. And it's just more and more of that. So it's just like, I don't know how it's, 
it aggravates me that yeah so many people who aren't informed are just going to listen to this and then they can just swallow it it's funny you say that that was the longest i've heard biden talk in like probably two years because i just never ever listened to the guy (laughs) hearing that clip on this show is the most i've heard him talk no you're it's honest to god and we talk about it all the time you try to find a clip of joe biden even when he's given his like pressers of longer than like 24 to 30 seconds and there isn't one that exists yeah because he can't stay on task. He goes off on the deep end. And then social media, they just do a good job of, like, you have to, like, literally verbatim type in an entire sentence of what he says to find audio clips. Oh, yeah. Because they just scrub (laughs) it from existence. And they edit all his transcripts. Well, they did at some point. You know, they were omitting, and then they were editing, remember? Yeah. I mean, he's had a couple meltdowns. There was that Breitbart exclusive last week that says he's, like, yelling and screaming at people behind the closed doors to stop walking back things that he says because... He's Joe Biden. And, uh, yeah, so that was Jimmy Kimmel. And, you know, he was out on the on the West Coast. He, he met with Gavin Newsom, uh, who celebrated a primary win this week. There's a lot of people who are thinking that's lining into a uh, presidential run in 2024 where it's going to be MAGA versus the real radical progressive left, which would be, I think, one of the most interesting elections ever. Um, but we had the America Summit in L.A., and we had – Mexico snub us, a couple other countries that were invited as like participants, but not really part of the geographical base of it. Israel and Saudi Arabia also didn't participate, and they're not very happy with us as well. However, uh, co-tyrant and friend to the north, not, sorry, not far out, Justin <laughs> Trudeau was there. No, do show. Yes, hating trucker rallies and uh, looking to ban guns of all shapes and sizes. Sat down with Joe Biden and... Uh, they had to talk a little bit about January 6th and the election, so let's hear them. I suspect his first open hearing is on January the 6th. And uh, as I said, when it was occurring and subsequent, I think of a clear flagrant violation of the Constitution. I think these guys, the one who broke the law, tried to turn around the resulting election. And uh, there's a lot of questions, who's responsible, who's involved. I'm not going to make a judgment on that, but I just want to know that we're going to probably be a lot of Americans are going to be seeing for the first time some of the detail that, that, that occurred. But, uh, I don't understand why he would even be talking to Justin Trudeau about yeah, that. I don't get it either. It's no, it has absolutely nothing to do with, uh, I mean, us here as Canadians, quite frankly. Well, Trudeau is, I mean, Trudeau is probably planning his own Reichstag fire uh, <laughs> to seize emergency powers similar to what uh, what they did there. They've already, um, he's already done it. He's going to continue to do it as long as he can get away with it. And he seems to be always able to get away with it. Yeah, did the Canadian battle. Minister of Justice say recently that private property rights are not absolute? So that's always a good sign. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I didn't even hear that. Wow. I, I no, don't... You'll, hear, you'll be hearing more soon. Yeah. I have a, I I don't doubt anything anymore when I hear stuff like that. It's so ridiculous that I'm just like, you know what? You probably did say that because that sounds exactly like him. I mean, it, it's on the way. Crazy, and I I'm just I understand that he, it's hard right now for a lot of people, but I just don't understand why like the majority of the people, regardless of side, are not realizing you know they need to step up or like I mean. I see a civil war happening. Very uh, it's it's because people are just simply afraid. I mean, like, you know, Canadians no, have I'm... been pretty meek and uh, sitting on the sidelines for a long time. I know so many people that private message me and say that, like, 
they're happy to see Emily saying something they wish they could, but they're afraid their businesses will be under attack. You know, maybe they have, you know, this sort of kind of an entrepreneurial ship and they don't want politics to come into it and lose half their market. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people private message me like that with those exact sentiments. No, definitely. I just think that at some point, everybody is going to have to stand together before, you know, it's at the point of absolutely no return. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I agree with you. God willing, God willing. Yeah, well, I guess we'll have to see what happens. Well, if they're talking about like, you know, property rights aren't, aren't, uh, you know, all encompassing and forever. I mean, that just goes, that just goes along with the, you'll own nothing. (laughs) <laughs> and eat yeah. the bugs. Eat the crickets. Mm, delicious crickets. <laughs> Speaking of crickets. Or the sausage. That too. Joe Biden spoke at the summit. Unfortunately, we're going to listen to a short clip from him, and he's going to blame every other person on the planet, literally, for all the bad things that are going on in this country besides himself. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. The COVID-19 pandemic hit our region particularly hard. Oh. While we account for just 12% <laughs> of the global population, We experienced more than 40% reported global pandemic-related deaths. It's an enormous tragedy that has left too many families grief-stricken. An ensuing economic crisis triggered by the pandemic ravaged economies throughout the hemisphere, wiping out much of the hard-earned progress we had made. 22 million more people fell into poverty in just the first year of the pandemic. Inequity continues to rise. Global inflammatory pressures were made worse by Putin's brutal and unprovoked war against Ukraine and making it harder for families to make ends meet. Mm. And all these factors are contributing to vastly increased migration flows throughout our hemisphere. With too many people <laughs> feeling there is no option available to them to provide for themselves and their family. Oh, yep. of course. Jeez. Oh boy. Uh, it's you like were, you weren't wrong. you weren't lying. He just blame it everything. Blame for you. Blame for you. Blame for you. I like how he tried to kind of like blame the immigration crisis on the pandemic. Wow, that yeah. was a stretch. Yeah. I mean, at least they had a uh, readily available ivermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine in the third world. Just waiting for him to start telling him that uh, they're, they're, the people in the third world are using too much gas. That's why the prices mm. are so high. <laughs> Their cars they don't have. Vladimir Putin's riding high right now. So Joe Biden did a couple other speaking events throughout the weekend. And, you know, he, he spoke a couple times today, but it was just more of the same rhetoric. And, uh with these inflation numbers that came out uh, this morning, there isn't really much to do for him other than, well, it's Friday. So he'll be heading on a plane from California to probably Delaware or, or Virginia beach this weekend where he'll just be having some fun in the sun. And uh, I guess we'll just pick it up on as the Biden world turns next week. Mm. Mm-hmm. What do you well, think, I, I, I think the reason he keeps trying to make everything about COVID is because for some reason, he polls all right when it comes to the issue of COVID itself. Um, when you look at, you know, how people poll on different issues, such as, you know, inflation and whatever, et cetera. He's just so, so underwater. The only one he isn't completely underwater and is COVID for some reason or other. So, yeah, he w- he is going to want to try to turn everything towards that sort of argument because he thinks he can kind of win in that arena. But But the fact is people don't really aren't thinking about COVID a whole lot right now. They're thinking a lot more about gas prices, inflation, et cetera. 
Well, saw a graphic, I think maybe even you guys posted it, where it showed like the top issues that people care about. Yep. And it was COVID was the very last one, like less than 1%. Which is um, where it belongs. And I think that's that's our uh, scalp to take, that we destroyed that whole narrative, the, the memers on social media, because yep. certainly it wasn't corporate media yep. that did that. For all the accounts we lost doing it, it was well worth it. Yeah, and yeah. The, the people <laughs> that are... soldiers, we salute you. Yeah, the people that are polling... And they're, you know, actually still worried about COVID or the people that are still hiding in their homes who still believe everything that they see on CNN. Fake news, CNN? Yeah. They can yeah, stay I'm home. Yeah, well, <laughs> they can stay home. I'm it, shocked to see people walk around outside with masks in the summertime. I know. I, know. I don't know what they're doing. You're here in Vegas and it's like 112 degrees outside and you don't really see it at all. But the few that you see, you're like, Oh, bless your heart, you poor thing. Yeah, true, I see, true I see a lot here. Like I see a lot where I am. Really? Well, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's... And I I mean, it's hot here. It's not Vegas hot. It's like yeah. 25 degrees. Yeah, what's the, what's the temperature where COVID uh, doesn't, you know, survive outside anymore? <laughs> Anywhere at any temperature. I mean, it depends on if you're sitting down at the restaurant or not. Fun fact, shortly after that speech, and while everything that you could find on the empty shelves here in the United States is nearly quadruple the price of it that it was two years ago. And we have no baby formula anywhere unless it's flown in from like Australia. Joe Biden pledged $700 million to the third world to help feed them. What? Wait, what? what? Yes. <laughs> to them, but not to how many million? $700 million to uh, combat systemic hunger. In the third world. So that's like five minutes of government spending? Yes. 700 wow. million? Mm -hmm. Are you shitting me? That's just like a walk in the park for Ukraine. Okay? That's a couple howitzers and some space blankets. <laughs> oh, God. Are we sending baby formula to Ukraine yet? I mean, we must be. I can't, you can't even get the formula. Buy it yourself. The formula. I've said this on another episode. You cannot buy formula from Europe and have it imported here. Because their formula is way much better and, and much more healthier for your children than American formula. They will seize it, but they, they're importing European formula for the people at the border. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a true story. It's now, the supply chain thing is like it's an act of war, really, because they really are destroying our supply chain. Like they're burning down all the food processing facilities. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, China is holding all their shipping containers and they're, you know, playing shenanigans with the trade routes. Um, you know, so it's, it's all very, very intentional that they're trying to starve us out. And it's, you know, part of their agenda, just like you said, right. to eat the crickets, uh, you know, and they're going to be, you're going to have Bill Gates, soy, uh, mm. you know, vaccinated products that you can buy and you'll have, uh, Klaus's crickets if your social credit score is good enough. And other than that, you're going to starve. And right. Bill Gates, moob milk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my God. Oh man, yeah. I guess we're just gonna have to see what ha what happens with all this. It's 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 very chaotic and and definitely not looking good for well futures on Monday heading into the weekend, as our retirements continue to all cry. Mm. Consequently, but uh, maybe we'll have our spirits lifted as we're getting ready to uh, sit down with North Carolina 13 nominee Bo Hines and former Trump administration legal Andrew Coster for the first time. All right, joining us next on the show today, huge Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He is now the Republican nominee for North Carolina 13, endorsed by President Trump. Joining us again, Bo Hines, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. No, it's our pleasure. First of all, let us start off by saying congratulations on your big primary win not too long ago. You uh, went out there and put the issues that are really affecting the people of North Carolina and the nation at the forefront of your campaign platform. You ran 
what I thought was an extremely mature and America first campaign. Obviously you garnered the endorsement of president Trump because he liked what you had going on just as much as when we had you on the show and you parlayed that into a, into a primary win. So how was that experience? And now looking forward, uh, looking to the general election in November, what are some of the things that are switching gears right now in your campaign? That's going to get you ready to, uh, win that house seat in North Carolina 13. Yeah, I mean, we are thrilled to have gotten through a very contentious primary here. And I think it goes to show you that, you know, voters, especially in North Carolina, resonate to the America first message. You know, they want to see our country uh, get back to common sense. And that's what we're going to be talking about a lot as we head into November. You know, we're going to talk about parental rights to decide what their children are taught in the classroom and at what age. We're going to ensure that parents know whether or not their children are being sexualized. I mean, these are things that all Americans can get behind and say, you know, we're going to protect our kids here in this country, right? We're going to talk about inflation and what this inept Biden administration has done to our country. I think today we see the highest inflation numbers that we've seen since 1981. I mean, these are things that are affecting people's lives. You know, I mean, like people go to the gas pump, they feel like their wallet's getting ripped out of their pant pocket. And we can't, I mean, we can't survive like this as a country. And we have to get back on the right track. We have to ensure that all Americans have the opportunity to thrive here, uh, not just survive and live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, I mean, you make a whole lot of sense there. You want to talk about those inflation numbers is probably the top news story of the day today. Uh, coming out near 9%, uh, way over what they had estimated it was going to be, pushing us even closer to what would be a major recession, probably the biggest one since World War II, if not larger, if these numbers don't slow down. I mean, a lot of our listenership needs to understand, we're just in the beginning of June. The, this inflation rate is probably going to go up, uh, honestly, another 2% by August when we hit the peak travel season of the year. And, and it's just one of those things where they're getting destroyed on every level, it, you know, the shelves are empty and the food that's there, it's very select. And, and you know, uh, and the prices are almost tripled of things of last year. Uh, everything from eggs and can't finding baby formula to like buying used cars for what their triple price would be. I mean, North Carolina is a huge blue collar state. They got the agriculture industry, the tobacco industry, the furniture industry there. There, There's so many people that are just hardworking blue collar families and they, they just can't deal with this much longer. What is the, uh, what is the plan once you once you think uh, after the general election, you get into Washington, D.C., some of the things you're going to do to get this administration under control? I mean, the first thing we have to do is, you know, unleash American energy. I mean, this this stuff is common sense, right? I mean, we when President Trump was in office, we had an, an excess of, of energy sources. We had an excess of natural resources. As, as a matter of fact, it was so accessible that we were able to fill our strategic oil reserves. Yep. And now the Biden administration has drained those down to nothing which put a small dent in gas prices for about two weeks. And now we're just seeing an absolute drastic surge again. I mean, American, I mean, this is unsustainable. I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you make when you go to the gas pump and you're paying $120 to fill up your, your SUV. I mean, no one can live like this. I mean, it's the same. I was telling, you know, my wife yesterday, it's the same cost for us to drive or to fly three hours and just to drive at this point. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but, you know, I think that right now when we get, when we get to Congress after 2022, we have to make sure that, you know, we're holding the line against the Biden administration. I find it hard uh, to believe that they're going to pass a lot of the bills that, that Congress adopts or he's going to sign them into law. Um, but we can at least be signaling what needs to be done when we take back the White House in 2024 with President Trump. Right. Uh, you know, we have to continue to push the America first message forward. We have to continue to make sure that, you know, we're not engaged in endless wars overseas that drain our resources in our country. We have to start talking about immigration reform. I mean, we have to we have a lot of things that we can't address. We have to hold the line in protecting, you know, our rights in this country. The Second Amendment is under drastic threat right now. You know, the First Amendment's been under threat for a long time. We yeah. have to address the big, the big tech companies. 
that attempt to silence conservative voices, you know, across the World Wide Web. Uh, you know, there's a, there's many things that we can narrow in on uh, and hone in on as we take Congress in 2022. Oh, you you make a whole lot of sense there, and, and a lot of those things. I agree with you. We're not going to be able to pass any major or if any legislation uh, in those two years before the White House slips again. But we could pretty much end this Biden agenda and then be able to put on full display all the things that he's going to be rejecting that you guys are going to be drafting in the House and then passing up to the Senate. Obviously, we think the Senate's going to get at least 53 seats for the Republican side. We see people like uh, Blake Masters, Adam Lexall. You got uh, Herschel Walker that are going to change the majority there. And, 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 you know, moving forward, we just have to get a you know, kind of rein this administration in because it seems like right now they just don't care. It's like uh, the biggest spectacle on display was last night with that primetime disaster, uh, big nothing burger, but huge distraction that January 6th, whatever you want to call it, uh, trying to pin this thing on on President Trump and and hold him up from running for president again. It's not going to work, but how disturbing is it to see your constituents really having the hardest time living their lives and under attack from so many different angles? And this is what the the Democrat Party and Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney and all those friends up there want to, you know, throw in the American people's face. I mean, it's it's horrible, right? But I mean, you can't put anything beneath them. I mean, they're using this as a distraction method to, to the rising inflation and the horrible economic circumstance the Biden administration's put us in. You know, they want to distract us from the war or we're sending American resources over into a conflict that does nothing to benefit the American people. People understand and in the United States, voters are very smart and they see this for what it is. And, and like you said, this is a complete nothing burger. Uh, they're, they're releasing the same information that they had before when they tried to impeach him uh, towards the end of his presidency again. I mean, this this stuff is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we need to start talking about the issues that impact American lives. And, you know, Democrats are going to go back to their old playbook. You know, they're starting to talk about, you know, abortion, abortion and things like that. They're starting to talk about, you know, stripping Americans of their gun rights. Um, you know, this is what they do to rile up their their, you know, staunchly uh, liberal base. But these kind of things don't resonate with the American people. I mean, can you imagine running on the platform of killing unborn children and stripping Americans of their rights? I mean, that's what the Democratic platform is now. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. And there is no moderate Democrat that's running for Congress. I mean, I'm running against a very liberal, I would even consider Marxist state senator here in North Carolina's 13th district. And by the way, this is a bellwether race in the country. I mean, this is a Republican plus three district that Biden won by 0.1%. I know if we we don't win this seat, then we're not going to have a huge pickup in the House and our country is in, in really big trouble. Um, so, you know, we feel good about our odds here. You know, our message is going to resonate, you know, the message of parental rights, the message of restoring and protecting American rights, the message of unleashing American energy, the message of unleashing, uh, the American worker to thrive in our economy, you know, bringing jobs back to the United States. These are all things that the Republican party should be pushing, uh, in these swing seats across the country. If we want to win big in November, which I think we will. Yeah, I think those numbers uh, look more and more favorable every day, but we do have to keep our eyes on the prize. It's so easy to get distracted. You know, we've talked about it with a couple of the of a, our other guests. We've had, you know, Arizona gubernatorial candidate Miss Carrie Lake on today, and then we sat down with Joe Kent for a little while. It, it's so amazing to see how lacking of a spine Senate and House Republicans have right now. Uh, you want to talk about anything that's going on. You can talk about all the kitchen table issues because – Obviously, they've done nothing to support the American public for the most part. You know, there are the ones there, the Gateses, the Gosars, the MTGs, the ones that are out there fighting every day, you know, Chip Roy and and people like that. But just with this January 6th committee alone, like this whole thing could have never 
gotten any traction or got off the ground if they would have just stood up, countersued, sued them personally, made their lives a living hell like they have for the entirety of the Trump administration for the two years since. I mean, you got 72-year-old Peter Navarro getting basically swatted at the airport last week, and uh, they don't care about if you could find baby formula at the grocery store. It's just one of those things where the Democrats are so out of touch, it seems like they're just going to try to do whatever it takes because they know they're going to get spanked in, in November to try and burn it down before you guys can get in there. Oh, for sure. But I mean, look at the hypocrisy on the left, right? I mean, they let our cities get burned down across our country uh, in the name of, of racial uh, equity, not even, you know, racial equality, but racial equity and, and equal equal outcome um, that has nothing to do with race. But at the same time, you know, we have what happened on January 6th, which, you know, was not a good thing, but it was not our country, it was not our country being burned down. And they, they want to draw a comparison here. Um, you know, they did. They Honestly, the biggest irony I see in this committee is they talk about how much they love police now. Well, where were they? Where were they during the riots? Where were they? They didn't like police then. So, I mean, just we have to call them out for what it is. I and mean, we have to call them out for all of the hypocrisy that they try to implement. Um, but you know what? I think that Americans are smart. I think they see what's going on here. And I think that it's going to resonate uh, when they show up to the ballot box in November. Yeah, I think you guys are going to be doing a lot of shaking up there in the, in the Beltway once you guys get up there. That's just my honest opinion. But looking at some of these campaigns that you guys are running, which are all amazing, and, and some of the talking points you go on, which is the you know America First agenda, you can't really fail when you get up there and want to represent the people that actually go to the ballot box and, 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 and are a reflection of this country and not the ones like in the Beltway right now who just don't care about us. But we want to be able to uh, direct our listenership to follow you to support you in your ongoing campaign as you head into the general election now. I mean, you're going to have a busy summer. You, you've got a lot of great candidates. There's a couple other Trump-endorsed candidates over there in North Carolina. I'm assuming that there's going to be probably another rally between now and November there, and uh, that should do nothing but help your cause. But uh, websites, campaign websites, social media is anywhere you want to direct our traffic to. Absolutely. Follow us on social media. It's either at Bo Hines or Bo Hines NC on every platform. Our website's Bo4NC.com. That's Bo the number 4NC.com. Reach out to us. You know, obviously, we're in an arms race here. So if you can send financial support, please do. And uh, we look forward to, to beating the Democrats down in November. Yeah, we and we're going to be looking forward to continuing to follow you. We're going to live link those all in the show description today. And like I already mentioned, we're going to look to have you back between sometime uh, between now and the general election. This is the America First Trump-endorsed nominee, NC13 Republican Party, Bo Hines. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you very much. Take care. All right, joining us next on the show today. He's a contributor to the Federalist Society, senior counsel at the uh, Compass Legal Group. He worked as the uh, chief of staff to the Wisconsin Office of Special Counsel, investigating the uh, election administration there. He served in the Trump administration as well, the associate director of White House Presidential Personnel, and was the acting general counsel for the office of OPM. Joining us today for the first time, Andrew Klauser, thanks for coming on today for breakfast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? Everything's great. I mean, other than, you know, as we were chatting ahead of time, other than the gas prices, you know, my family's good, work is good, and I'm reasonably optimistic about how things are going. So it's pretty good. Well, it's funny to say everything's great, even though everything's horrible. I mean, that's kind of like the, uh, <laughs> the nature of it right now. You got to kind of make the best of it and wade through as we uh, work towards these midterm elections and hopefully get some people in there. We're going to have a little bit more of a spine than the ones that are currently representing us up on uh, Beltway right now. Sure, sure. And you've got some great people I, I, I see on Joe. I love Joe. Uh, he's great, Carrie. So a lot of a lot of good people you've been having on. So I'm really, really happy to be with you. 
Yeah, it seems like our listenership is really starting to gravitate towards these ones that are rising to the top right now in the midterms because uh, their message is just resonating with them. They're they're hurting everywhere. You know, you talk about we don't even have to get into foreign policy and like the southern border. You just talk about like stuff going on in school, stuff going on with the kids, grocery store, inflation, gas prices, heating your home, childcare, you name it. And uh, it, it's hitting you in one way or another. It doesn't matter. It seems like how rich you are now, you're still kind of feeling it in the wallet. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of amazing to me. You know, I was looking at the top issues on our base, you know, speaking as a Republican people, what people care about. And for a while there, you know, it was, it was CRT and it was, it was, you know, the 2020 election, things that really people care about a lot. And it wasn't a lot of the bread and butter stuff, but they just gotten so far out over their skis. I mean, I don't see how we don't clean house in November at all. I think things are going to be great. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you, you got to be honest there. There was that poll I came out. I saw today. It was from Rasmussen reports. It's, it was dated June 7th and uh, you know, the top five midterm issues right now, well, top six. So this is from the voters, inflation, election integrity, violent crime, rising gas prices, illegal immigration, and school issues. That's the top five voter polled. And they did a top, I'm sorry, top six, and they, they did a top six legacy media midterm issue. So what that means is the stuff oh, no. they're trying to shove down our throats. So according to the media, number one, abortion rights. Number two, capital riot investigation. Three, COVID-19. Apparently that's still a thing. Mm. Four, climate change. Five, LBGTQ issues. And six, Ukraine. So that was, uh, yeah. So they, they I, I think that's a pretty fair assessment because when I turn on the TV, I do see the six things that the legacy media is trying to force feed us. And, and when we talk to anyone who's an actual human being that has a job and a family, it seems like the first six that I read kind of uh, is more important to them than any of the other things. Mm-hmm. So... Andrew, does yeah. this, does, it, does it surprise you how fast we've gotten here? I mean, I know you just said that they're over their skis on a lot of these issues and some of the radical progressive stuff that they're pushing. But did, did even you think uh, after you saw, you know, what happened with the election and then the people that were nominated for cabinet positions and then the people that they started to appoint to run federal agencies, how fast we got to this, like, complete dumpster fire that our country is right now? Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think the economy is doing so poorly and you know every time they have an opportunity to do something that can help they do the opposite and that's crazy i mean my background I, I came out of a lot of environmental regs so we worked on you know emission standards and, and things like that trying to reduce the cost of cars and blah 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 and opening up drilling and then they've just taken a, a 180 and it has hit hard but in terms of you know am i super surprised like no you know we got out you know i was in the white house and i and i was appointed to um actually be an agency head on an independent board, the administrative conference of the U S by, by president Trump. And, um, you know, I was fired right out the gate. Like I was the first wave of people that they fired. They were like, let's find the loyalists and get rid of them. And then we'll, we'll kind of, and they continued to fire. But so in other words, I got an email pretty quick right out the gate from who would be handling personnel, um, in the white house, who basically would be my offices, Johnny McEntee's offices replacements, um, and so I got that email, looked up this guy, I'm forgetting his name now, but it was just a checklist of all of this, um, you know, progressive advocacy stuff. And I thought, wow, if these are the people that are handling, who's going to be staffing and they made all these signals, we're going to be staffing based on minority status. We're going to be staffing based on how progressive you are. I mean, and, and this was January, you know, 2021, I kind of, you could kind of see the signals and, and I had, you know, pretty good relationships with my careers at EPA and elsewhere and talking about 
you know, some of some of these, you know, environmental justice and other other issues. So I kind of could tell who was going to be in the driver's seat. And, um, you know, Biden, somewhat instinctually moderate. People kind of like him. I kind of like him. He's not I mean, you know, personally, it's like, oh, he seems like a good guy. You know, I could have a beer with him or whatever. But um, so I think they wanted to be a little moderate. And so they tamped down on some of this progressive stuff a little bit out the gate. But with the economy and everything hitting, I just think they don't care anymore. So I think they're like, well, all of these progressive agenda items that they might have put on hold, thinking that they could get a a little pole bump. I think they're so far to the bottom that they're like, you know, let's just go. Let's just do everything. I don't even care anymore about how it looks. So it's crazy. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that we've noticed and we've talked about on the show for the last uh, year and a half, how they just, it seems like regardless of how anyone in this country is being affected negatively by all of their radical progressive policies and stuff they're pushing from the, the hard left, that they just don't care. They'll like come out and literally say like, oh, like literally like Nancy Pelosi the other day, like someone tried to murder a Supreme Court justice and she she literally said, I don't care. The justices are protected when they held up that you know, protect the justice act in the, uh, in the house of representatives. So it, it, it's, it's just mind blowing to me, but I, I do want to stick on some of your time within the Trump administration. Now we've heard a lot of things from a lot of different people. We we've hit it from kind of all angles. We've had everyone like Dr. Navarro on the show who worked with president Trump pretty much on a regular basis and all the way down to people who were kind of like in his orbit, but not there. One of the things we've heard, and maybe you could clarify this with us because you were kind of in the side there on the legal side of the house. We heard that White House legal was an absolute shit show for the most part of Donald Trump's presidency. That has nothing to do with Donald Trump. That doesn't have anything to do with his policies or agenda. That has to do with the people that were there who were kind of setting up roadblocks for a lot of the things that he wanted to get done for the American people, even though he was able to get a lot of stuff done. They they made it either extremely difficult or just push things back so far that we were never able to get to it. Can you give us kind of like an insider look? You don't have to name names or anything like that, but yeah. what, what was that dynamic like in there? I mean, I can give a number of... Of, of, of data points. And I'll specify, I was the lawyer at the personnel office. So I was a lawyer in the White House, but I wasn't in the White House counsel's office. And I make that clarification because I, you know, at one point I have ears everywhere. And at one point someone had introduced me and said, you know, White House lawyer on some, some like Daily Wire show or whatever that I was on. Um, and then someone calls in and says, oh, I was there and he wasn't in the White House counsel. It's like, true, I've never said that I was. So nor would I necessarily say that I, you know, want to say that I was. Um, so, but I was a lawyer in the white house and I did handle a lot of the legal staffing, you know, when we were doing our interviews, we set up a very robust process to interview all the political appointees. You know, I did interview, you know, all of the AAGs and, 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 and all of those people, political appointees all the way up to the Senate confirmed level. Um, and I've read all the, I'm probably the only person that's read all of the, the transition documents too. So I saw who came in with the legal staffing recommendations who was good, who was not good. Um, and then greatagain.gov, you know, that was out there. And, you know, when I finally got in there, we took a look at, at, at greatagain.gov. It had been dormant for the entire admin. And I noticed some people, lawyers that I knew that I thought were great. I'd called them up, you know, this would have been early, you know, 2020. Okay. And they were like, they were like, wow, this is the first reach out we've gotten at all. So why was that? Why was all of that? I think, um, a lot of that is the DC network. And I mean, in fairness, I was hired through these same channels initially into the department of transportation through really buttoned down. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was basically Jeff Rosen uh, who ended up being the acting attorney general yep. 
at the end, but he's a very buttoned down Federalist Society guy. And I think FedSoc had a book of their recommendations that came in through different people and they pretty much got whomever they wanted. McGann was there pretty early and that's where he comes from. And so we weren't exactly looking at, you know, when you interview these people, you want to find out where they come from. It's kind of an interrogation. It's kind of a, an art, not a science, mm-hmm. but you're trying to let them tell you what they really believe and not what they think you want them to believe or say. And so you'd be like, well, what motivates you? And typically the answer that was a huge red flag for me, and I can say this now, is when they'd say, well, I'm totally motivated by Trump on deregulation and tax cuts. Um, and it's like, no, that's not, that's not what he ran on in 2016. It's no. not what he won on. That's not what he would have won on in 2020. No, that was, that was a lot of the Paul Ryan agenda. Answer when you don't have any real beliefs. It's like, let's just cut, cut, cut. Yeah. You want, you want to read a couple of like Republican uh, stumping points from the campaign trail and, and part of like Paul Ryan's legacy resume. That's two things right there that, that sparkle out for me while he tried to hold up the Trump agenda. You know, a lot of what you said ties into something else we always talk about on the show, especially with a lot of the former admin officials. A lot of our listenership is, is, is just getting to know a little bit better and, and a more comprehensive understanding of how big the administrative state is there and how much it could stop and stymie something as robust as President Trump's agenda. You want to give a little insight to that? I mean, you've worked in so many different departments over there and, and, and been on the legal side of the house. You've had to see it firsthand. Yeah. And I think so my, you know, expertise now, if you call it that, and it's certainly still not expertise, I'm always learning is kind of on the civil service side, on the staffing side, hiring and firing, things like that. So I got to work on the you know, all of the Title V issues, the Schedule F, you know, um, things like that, rifts, reductions in forces, and then and all the classification and setup and, 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 and stuff like that. So, you know, we have a civil service and there's a history to it. And, you know, it goes all the way back to the first department, the State Department, and then you've got Tammany Hall and then a reaction against that. And the idea that we need a professional, independent civil service and let's start giving them job protections and blah, blah, blah. It's a long story. There's a lot academically out there, but the end result is we kind of do have an independent, often self-funding, very large apparatus with, you know, uh, civil servants or employees of the federal government in every congressional district in the country. They're a very powerful block, um, and they're very adept at hiding the ball. And I think some of it's intentional, some of it's not intentional. Um, And what we really need is to make sure that those of us who are political appointees have the understanding and training and the cover and the golden parachutes so that they can go in, be effective. You you know, you need the trifecta. You need to be loyal. You also need to be competent. I guess two things, rather. You need to be loyal and competent um, and understand the policy. Um, And oftentimes agency heads, I mean, I was just talking with one the other day, one of the few remaining agency heads out there that were appointed and confirmed under Trump. And the person said the refrain that I hear all the time, which is if only it were easier to fire someone. It's like, no, the rules are usually pretty good. You can fire someone. It just takes a lot of your time and a lot of your political capital. So we need people with backbone. Um, We need people that can see through the baloney. I think Rick Grinnell was very good at that. He sure was. Have a goal. He'd have a goal like on declassification. And that's a really hard issue. And I worked on that at OPM as well because there are multiple authorities, agencies, you know, and, and you and they classify something and suddenly you need to get 10 approvals before you can declassify something. And if you're not savvy, you think, oh, that that's reasonable when you read how it works and hangs together. But you've got to be hard charging and you've got to 
got to do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, you put it out there, I think very correctly. It's a, it's a long process, especially, you know, career appointed bossless federal employees are probably, they're like, you know, when you see those movies and the only thing that survives a nuclear holocaust is like the cockroaches. These are like the people, like the, the amount of paperwork I'm, I can only assume to get rid of these people has to be immense. And then, you know, so many of the processes that go through the, the stuff to get them out of their positions. And, and when you get rid of one, there's a whole bunch of other ones, number one vying for their job. And then all the jobs underneath them that then open up. And it's like, it's, like picking weeds and, and it's one of those things where I know it, it definitely went into the factor that, that slowed down the Trump agenda and uh, definitely made it a lot harder for the American people to see some of the results that I wish we would have got done for the fact that he's in office. It's pretty interesting to say now, you talk about like the golden parachute and where people were going. It, there was kind of like some uncertainness in the 2020 presidential election because people really didn't know what the outcome of that election was going to be and you had see some of the people's true color shining through like, yeah, I'm going to go on to my new job and, 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 you know, go on television or write books. Move to Miami. Exactly. And and then you had the people who were were the loyalists were the ones that you see them getting the most business right now. You know, the uh, Mark Meadows, the Peter Navarro's and all the other people that have been, you know, swatted in the last year and a half by Nancy Pelosi and friends. And it's one of those things where I think an interesting dynamic of moving forward in 2024 when Donald Trump announces that he is going to run again, he has a certain end date on him. So he knows he's only going to be bringing people in there that are in it to win it because there's not going to be people looking to, uh, you know, go back on a reelection campaign or anything like that. There's going to be people that want to go in there and, and get as much of his agenda and, and his legacy taken care of as they can uh, for, for the only four years he would have moving forward. I think that's right. And so two things on that one, you know, we were making all of these plans at the end of the admin, you know, we did this roving personnel review. We had all these books and dossiers and, 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 and a lot of it in our head and different things. And, you know, we did all of that, but the question in my mind was always how much juice did the office and did Johnny McEntee really have? And if we had won the election, there sort of was some downside risk. I mean, I just heard the other day someone saying, oh, we had these plans on the day after the election, we'd announce, you know, entitlement reform, cutting Social Security or whatever, which is just totally tone deaf. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of people in the room who were also making plans, industry. And I think Elon Musk said something, and I, I don't recall the exact quote, but he's, he's like, you know, I wish I'd lose all my money. Or in, in some sense, it would be cool if I lost all my money at one point and I could learn who my real friends are. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's what happened here that, you know, we, we don't have the White House now. And Trump can kind of and others can kind of find out who their real friends are. And so I'm very pleased with that. One kind of coded what you're saying a second ago, though, it's not just the civil service. It's political hiring and firing. I can't tell you how many times, you know, you'd have someone who just was not on the team, just not on the team, ineffective, maybe bullying, you know, and you want to get rid of this person. You want to replace this person. And you can't. And this was on the political side where all it takes is a letter from the president or all it takes is a, an agency had to just say you're done because there are no protections or very few. Um, and even those sometimes couldn't get across the finish line. So I think on both the civil service and, uh, you know, and the political hiring side, the number one thing to me is often political will, just the ability to actually get something done. So one takeaway I had was, you know, if Trump or whomever the next Republican candidate and president is, their personnel person needs to have full, you know, authority and backup of the president where when someone runs and says, 
this person's being fired. Like I, this needs to stop. The president needs to just put out a big palm and say, stop. That's handled by Johnny or that's handled by whomever. Don't even talk with me about it. Um, that's the kind of, you know, backup of your subordinates and chain of command that you need to kind of be functional. I can agree, completely agree with you there. And I think it's one of the things moving forward that he's not going to be as getting his feet wet with when, when he goes back for a second time, if he does in fact decide to run, which we think he does on this show, you know, all it's like all roads indicate the stuff that he's doing now. We've heard that he's getting ready to completely revamp his rally schedule and, and maybe be doing multiple ones a week moving forward. And uh, he's not going to be out there putting all these people in Washington, D.C., in my opinion, to not go and work with them. Andrew, what are some of the things that right now you're uh, working on or looking to work on down the road a little bit? Yeah, so. You know, I, I, you know, for the year after the admin, I kind of had my own shingle out. I had a couple anchor regulatory clients, mostly on the energy and environment side and the Wisconsin thing, obviously. And then recently I went over to Compass Legal, um, which is compasslegal.org. And we're a very small firm, but we're handling, we are a nonprofit and we're handling a lot of nonprofit setup and advice and all of that, uh, you know, on the right for a lot of these new, this new ecosystem kind of helping be shared services for the right. And we also do FEC work, you know, so a lot of these candidates that you've had on people like that, some of them actually people you've had on and things like that. So um, again, trying to eat the lunch, you know, often, you know, these orgs or these candidates will run to a big, you know, left-wing firm or whatever and get charged out the ear or get bad advice. And so that's kind of, you know, we're just trying to help with the institutional ecosystem. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very fulfilling. There's a lot of little special projects I'm always working on, still involved with the election integrity stuff, um, you know, still connected to, to Trump world and calling those people on the regular. So it's a good place to be when you can both pay the bills and, you know, devote 100 percent of your time to making sure the right people get what they need. You know what? I, I think the quality of all of our lives have improved since we started doing this show. Uh, it, it's funny to get like. You know, Rick Grinnell sent me a pretty funny meme of, of Pete Buttigieg the other day, and I'm thinking like, this is this is the this is an ambassador, <laughs> former acting, and you're shit talking DNI, and he's sending me funny memes of Pete <laughs> Buttigieg, or for you know me to tell Cash Patel he's cheating on us when I screenshot him on Sean Hannity do the entire show as a co-host last night, and, and like you know the the regular weekly banter I have with Christina Bob, she'll have somebody tearing her up in the comments and she'll like screenshot the comments on her social media and be like, who is this person? They follow you. And I'll be like, I don't know. We have (laughs) thousands of followers. I'm sorry. She doesn't agree with what you posted, but it it just seems like, you know, where the loyalties lie, it it, it just, it's better on this side because it's not even that side of the aisle. It's just this side because these people really do have, when you get to talk to them and know their hearts and know their souls and how passionate they are about the profession, they really don't care what other people think about them. They care about turning this country around. They care about things that will benefit the American public and and moving forward. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff. Donald Trump's light shone so bright when he was the president. Sometimes you didn't get to see how great of a supporting cast was. You know, there was the people like Kaylee and the ones that were out there every day that you would see normally, but there were so many other supporting players behind the scene. And then when you get to talk to them and learn how they intricately all work together to make these like things that are like major milestones happen. It's just, it's an incredible feel good story that doesn't get enough credit. It's often demonized, but I think in time history will prove that this, this is part of like the greatest generation of conservative America first, nationalist populist politics that we've ever lived on. And it's just the beginning. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think we just, in a lot of ways, just have more fun. You've had on 
two days ago, I think you had John Gibbs on, who's a yeah. friend. Oh, he's awesome. Um, of the him. of the things that you may know about him, you may not know how much of an anime fan he is. So that's that's one kind of dot dot dot. Um, but yeah, you've got you've got people like Amanda Milius, who will never fail to tell you that she was the Das for content, which I think is a hilarious title. But um, you know, and then on the personnel side, we would get all the time. You'd get someone complaining, and they'd say, "Well, well, why do you want to fire them? Well, because they had this." this thing in their social media 10 years ago or this tweet or something like that. And very often it would, it would actually go through, um, you know, but you'd find out that they wanted to fire the person for other reasons. But I guess, I guess all I'm saying is it's a new generation. The social norms have changed on the things you can talk about. Certainly I'm very active on Twitter and, and uh, a little out there. Um, and there are a lot of people like that. And that, that is kind of signaling and explaining where you're coming from. It's like, look, I mean, it is an aesthetic thing. It's a, it's a lifestyle thing. And it's saying like, look, I'm not here to be buttoned down. I'm not here to make bank. You know, we would often get people, we'd say, well, where do you want to go? And they'd say, I want to work in international finance. That's invariably the answer for, from a swamp creature. Yeah. They want to get paid by the federal government to fly to Davos or whatever. And then, mm. and then go work at Goldman when they're done. Yeah, no, thank um, you. But, but yeah, no, thank you. No, thank you. So we've got a great ecosystem. You know, we did a very good job. We've got all the receipts, you know, and we've got the receipts, whether it's Trump or whether it's someone else. I, I, I like Trump. I was a, an OG supporter all the way back to like 2012 even. And, you know, uh, when he, he, he floated, floated with the idea. Mm -hmm. So um, very supportive when I was at Heritage too. I was surrounded by Cruz and Rubio people. So like, of course I love him. Uh, and I hope, that he runs and I hope that he wins and I hope that he wins again. Um, but, uh, in the general, but you know, if it's someone else, we still have the receipts. So, uh, you know, people just have to do their job, you know, don't get blown up and, uh, find the good people do good work and you'll inevitably get connected. Sure. No, I completely agree with you, Andrew. This has been awesome sitting down and spending some time with you today. We want to be able to direct our listenership to anywhere you feel like letting them uh, see a little peek into what you're doing on social media. You said you were kind of based maybe in the thread of John Gibbs, who uh, throws a couple fire tweets out there every once in a while. We know for sure that he printed out some tweets and brought them to uh, the highest level of HUD meetings. So uh, when people weren't pushing yeah. the Trump agenda, he would he would print it out and bring it to the meetings. And whenever they started to go off the rails, he'd just pull it out and say, hey, listen, you, you see this tweet right here from the boss? This is about you guys. And uh, we need more people like that. So website, social media, anything? that you want to give to our listenership yeah i'll just say they can go to uh compasslegal.org which is my professional site and then i'm ar cluster a-r-k-l-o-s-t-e-r -E uh is my is my twitter handle and i'm very pleased to have talked with you well, we will live link that in the show description today. And listen, this is just the start, I think, of what would be a, kind of a reoccurring segment on sacred breakfast there's so much stuff i'm sure we want to pick your brain on and we are definitely looking forward to have you back thanks so much guys andrew Costa, thanks for joining us on steak for breakfast <laughs> All right, well, unfortunately, I, I mean, I wish we had some good news to bring this week, but the January 6th Unselect Committee went mm. prime time as we teased on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Do uh, we get ratings for that? Like, I mean, obviously they wouldn't be true, but, I mean, d did anybody even... I, I wonder I, what the viewership was. I think if you want to see the ratings, probably tune into some place like Tucker tonight because if anybody went and dug him up, he probably would because he railed against it. I mean, Fox News was the only major legacy news network that did not air it live. Mm. Um, Tucker did a commercialist show last night all about it, and that was followed up by a commercialist Hannity with Cash as the guest star. Nice. So, yeah, he co-hosted last night. Yeah, I haven't even bothered to even touch watching it yet. It and was awful. Nor do I want to. It was... 
I just checked the ratings. It's um, on from the Daily Caller, right? This is a early cable ratings for the first J6 committee hearing range between 2 million and 4 million total viewership between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. according to data exclusively attained, obtained so, by the Daily So Caller. mostly just us watching it to make sure that <laughs> make sure it was as retarded yeah, as we say, thought. Like, that's the memer community watching <laughs> yeah. it to shitpost about yeah. it. Because, I mean, Tucker Carlson gets like 4.3 million a night. So, yeah, he tripled them. Yeah, going, going head to head. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's that's awful and embarrassing, uh, and it, and resonates with the polls that we're seeing, where it's just not a, a kitchen table issue at all. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't available on like YouTube live stream, so you could dislike it. <laughs> Probably oh, no, dis- they've learned well from the start of the Biden administration. Uh, Tucky has turned over a new leaf as of late. Uh, not only has he gone down the road of supporting some people who. A year and a half ago, he might have kicked off his show a few times or countered their narrative about the election being rigged and stolen. But there's only one way and one reason that we got to whatever happened on January 6th uh, that day was, and it was because of the election. Let's hear Tucker weigh in on it. Conspiracy to storm the Capitol. They haven't found that because there wasn't a pre-planned conspiracy. So instead, they've told us that the crowd converged on the Capitol that day because their orange cult leader commanded them to. Now, Trump did encourage a protest that day. That is true. But it's not a real explanation for what happened next. The people you saw outside the Capitol on January 6th were not brainwashed robots mindlessly following their leader. Whatever you think of them, they weren't sociology students from Wesleyan telling you the straight face there are 400 genders because their professors told them so. No, they were just the opposite. These were mostly sober middle class people, older for the most part, small business owners from smallish towns far from the fashionable coasts. They're mostly passionately patriotic Americans, the kind who believe in the Bill of Rights and know what it says. These are people who genuinely love America, far more than, say, Chuck Schumer loves America. So why were they there? Why'd they go to the Capitol? Well, because, again, unlike Chuck Schumer, they actually believed in democracy. Hmm. And they believed their democracy had been taken from them. They were convinced that the presidential election was unfair, which it certainly was. Some of them believe the election had been rigged. We'll let others debate whether that's true. But the fact is, many that day believed it was true. And that itself is a huge problem for all of us going forward. The fact that large numbers of Americans believe democracy isn't real may itself be the biggest threat to our democracy. Because in order for our system to work, the population has to believe that it works. In other words, that our elections are fair and transparent and therefore legitimate. Which we, I think we could all agree on right now they aren't. Yeah. Not. Yeah, no, it was interesting to see uh, lie after lie after lie on the uh, the hearing last night because, you know, they go from saying the election was fair, like, mm, no, it's not. There was digital forensic evidence, video forensic evidence, statistical evidence, like it's been presented over and over and over again that it was a stolen election. Um, and then they go through the whole story telling it, you know, one piece after one piece showing only one side of the narrative. It was like, a, you know, Pravda communist show trial to try and intimidate patriots, basically. Um, kind of disgusting to watch and, you know, an embarrassing moment for our democracy. Yeah, it really was. I mean, Tucker would go on in that monologue to continue saying that, like, the reason that the people got so fired up and on that day and, and whatever happened happened was because, he, and he looked right at the camera, he's like, because they tried to have you believe that Joe Biden got 11 million more votes <laughs> than Barack Obama. And then they tried to have you believe that, 
Donald Trump was the worst history president in the history of presidents, and he got multi million more votes than he did in like fourteen million more votes than he did in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, come on. It's, it wasn't a referendum on Trump, and it wasn't Joe Biden's overwhelming popularity with his empty Jeep and fucking hula hoop unfilled rallies that he held across the country, while Donald Trump literally hosted hundreds of thousands of people in the campaign season that he had going into that election during COVID. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and there's just a lot of the facts of the matters. You know, Carrie Lake touched on it this morning that we just don't want to. I asked her, I said, why don't we want to talk about this? And she's like, it's the it's the inability for anyone on the left to admit that they're wrong or that they weren't right. And, and, and we may never get to the bottom of it, but the evidence continues to come out and, and it continues to be mounting in in the face of when you just look at some of the things, like if you don't even want to go into the conspiracy theories with like international servers and all this black ops shit going on, like historical fraud, free for all mail in ballots, yep. uh, the inconsistencies with the machines and the fortified blue wall states and the four cities that shut down in the middle of the night who historically are manned by only damn operatives. Mm-hmm. You factor that all in and the places where the election matters, it's easy to say it's rigged and stolen there. I mean, you people know, have already been charged you know, arrested and charged for for doing and for helping steal the election. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous at this point. If people they wrote are... a Time magazine article about it, literally, exactly, <laughs> yeah. that they fortified or whatever. It was a very interesting article. It sure was. And when you look at the people involved, I mean, it was like the what was that guy? He was the top Obama like appropriate advisor or something like that. And it was just it was so awful. Uh, you know what else? Uh, the guy who coordinated it behind the scenes, he was like a high-ranking uh, uh. Obama staffer that was like yeah. in charge of uh, integrity of something. But um, <laughs> I'm, you know what? I'm going to reshare that article today. I have it saved. It's like the last tab on my phone uh, because it, we need to keep stuff like that fresh in the people's minds. Tucker Carlson would go on to slam a lot of this grandstanding before we get into the actual segments from the committee and all the people that are calling it an insurrection because it wasn't. This was not a protest. This was an insurrection. Oh. It's not protest. It's insurrection. (laughs) We are not defending and would never defend vandalism, violence, rioting. We disapproved of it when it happened. We disapprove of it now. All riots, not just this one. But this was not an insurrection. But you know what will get you to insurrection? If you ignore the legitimate concerns of a population, if you brush them aside as if they don't matter, when gas goes to $5 and you say, buy an electric car. When cities become so filthy and so dangerous that you can't live there. When the economy becomes so distorted that your own children have no hope of getting married and giving you grandchildren. When you don't care at all about any of that and all you do is talk about yourself nonstop. You might get an insurrection if you behave like that. Speaking of insurrection. Dang. I mean, we have a button for that. Was he wrong? Yeah, he knows it. He I mean, I, it's, it's hard lot. to. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. if you're a Democrat watching that footage of, uh, you know, the J6 stuff that they had carefully cherry picked and uh, you're sitting here dealing with like $6 gas prices and no supply chain and 15% inflation and they're just like taking it out of your pocket from both sides with both hands. Aren't you kind of thinking like, mm, I kind of wish they had won? Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, let's, let's talk about you know, attacking a federal building with people inside and lighting it on fire. I mean, that was happening previous to anything that would even resemble an insurrection. Mm, I haven't heard yeah. that one in a while. 
Yeah, and there's the hypocrisy. I mean, that's no, we did- that's never going to be uh, investigated. No. Yeah, we didn't hear anything last night about uh, the federal informants who were there, about the Antifa plants who were there, about the Ukrainian military operatives who were there, about the pipe bombs that were planted at the RNC headquarters and DNC headquarters. So, like, they really didn't tell the story at all. Um, because the story is a psychological information op against the American people by our intelligence agencies. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah. They scooped it's up pretty dark out there. They scooped up all these other people on their FBI want to uh, identify list or whatever, mm-hmm. but then they deleted people off the list. Like that Ray Epps guy mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. was like literally, I, I don't know, was number 15 or 16 on their list of like, we got to get all these people. And then he just disappeared and he's still cruising around free. I saw a video where somebody uh, approached him and he was like out on a golf cart and just like, yeah, he literally was just like, I can't talk about it. It's like, you can't talk about it. You started (laughs) it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, I understand why you can't talk about it, but like, I mean, you obviously are untouchable. You might as well talk about it. We're never going to hear his testimony. Mm. We're never going to see the receipts from emails phone calls and text messages from Nancy Pelosi, from Muriel Bowser, from the sergeant at arms of the Capitol Police. We're never going to see any of that stuff. They edited video yesterday that they played during the January 6th committee and purposely took Ray Epps out of one of the scenes because they thought what happened after that was spicy enough to show the people in prime time. Wait, did they like CGI cut or cut him out? No, they <laughs> yeah, just they put Jar Jar Binks in. Yeah, they selectively edited. <laughs> but but Julie Kelly, Kelly and Darren Beatty and Raheem Kassam all and Jack Basobic, they all called it out and they shared the clips that are out there on social media of it in its entirety. But that yeah. doesn't get to the boomers that are sitting home watching this shit like clutching their pearls again for the first time in a year and a half. Yeah, it's just so disingenuous when they just go and like well, we just edited it a little bit. It's the same thing when they you know, added the the uh, the blue check mark. Yeah, yeah. I, my father in law, my mother in law were in town from England visiting, and they say that they are only they hate BBC, right? But they say they only have CNN. They don't have any Fox News and blah blah blah. So you can imagine, you know, they're boomers. They they don't hate Trump, but they don't like him, you know, because of what they hear. And uh, my father in law mentioned something about January sixth, and I said that like. He told me, oh, yeah, you know, what happened January 6th, Trump caused it and all this stuff. And he's not he's not a liberal by any means, but because of what he's been seeing constantly shoved in his face. And I told him the truth and I showed him video and he's like, oh, my God, I go, you cannot watch any of that shit on TV. Nothing is true. Like literally opposite. His mind was blown. And there's enough people that will just take all of that as the truth because you know when yeah. have, when have you not been able to trust your tv it's your tv it's an it's part of your family but it's not just that like there's people who you know watch it knowing that there's a, an intense bias here and they think they're smart enough to look through the bias right at, but but they're not because exactly. as much as you're watching it and even if you're watching with a really critical eye you are being subtly distorted in a certain direction mm-hmm. you're being programmed you That's can't true. watch it with um, a critical eye. You're going to be manipulated to some extent, regardless. So true. It's like brainwashing as a science, and it works, and they know what they're doing. They're the best in the business. And you know, no matter how critically you watch it, you're literally pouring poison into your mind uh, exactly. watching the Mockingbird media. Because well, there's almost no truth there. It's just lies. So, I mean, even if you're watching critically, 
you're not you're not getting anything of value no oh yeah you guys make excellent points and if you want to talk about the science of it the professor was in last night in the form of uh january 6th unselect committee chair benny thompson let's hear him (laughs) first and then break down some of his i'm just i'm just gonna start with this from a part of the country where people justify the actions of slavery, mm-hmm. the Ku Klux Klan, and lynching. Mm. I'm reminded of that dark <laughs> history as I hear voices today try and justify the actions of the insurrectionists on January 6, 2021. Over the next few weeks, right. oh, hopefully you will get to know the other members, my colleagues up here, and me. We represent a diversity of communities from all over the United States. Keyword. Rural areas and cities, East Coast, West Coast, and the Heartland. Bloods, Crips. All of us have one thing in common. <laughs> we love We swore the same oath. <laughs> that same oath that all members of Congress take up on taking office and afterwards every two years if they are reelected. Oh. We swore an oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Ah, of course. The words of the current oath taken by all of us that nearly every United States government employee takes have their roots in the Civil War. Throughout our history, Mm. the United States... Shut up. Be honest with you. I'm kind of retarded. So, so Benny Thompson used his opening statements of the January 6th committee to invoke slavery, the Ku Klux Klan, and lynching. Okay, for, and talking mm-hmm. about historical facts from his district. So I went back and, and, and did a little internet search. How long has Benny Thompson been in office? 1990 fucking three. So from f- hailing from apparently the most racist place on the planet that, that produces nothing but insurrectionists, they've rehired him to Congress every two years since 1993. It's 30 years in January. He's done pretty well. <laughs> He's done pretty well for himself for being a, a black man from Lynchtown, USA, apparently. <laughs> in the most racist country on What's earth. Is that the capital? Nice thing to say to your constituents, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, just remember, vote for me in November, you yeah. dumb you mother- bastard racist. <laughs> Consequently, in two years, I'm going to be up for re-election again. <laughs> I was sitting there, like, I just looked how old he is, and I knew he'd been, because he'd been, like, uh, one of the oversight liaisons that, that has worked with the Department of Homeland Security for years. He's bounced back and forth. And I was like, this motherfucker's been in, in Congress almost the entirety of, I've been alive. I've always remember him out there fucking arguing with people and talking about how everyone's racist. And then I go and look, and he's from, you know, this rural place in Mississippi where apparently everybody hates black people, but they voted him to office for the last 30 years. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. can't make this shit up. I, well, I mean, maybe. No, I mean, the, the whole race issue is like they've created this intellectual architecture and this legal architecture where they're going to call everybody on the right a white supremacist, a domestic right. terrorist. Um, you know, that's why, like, based minorities are really crucial to our coalition because yeah. it just, like, shows the lie to what the communists are doing, makes them look like idiots. And it's funny because they'll still call, you know, minority Republicans like, oh, you're a white supremacist yeah. and you just have, like, internalized white supremacy or something yeah. ridiculous like this. It's because these people, you know, white they privilege. kind of have drunk the Kool-Aid of unreality where like up is down and just nothing matters anymore and you just go with the party narrative um you know like we really have to unpack that and kind of destroy that narrative because that is key to what they're trying to do uh you know just like the communists went after the bourgeoisie and you know the nazis went after the jews and everything else like they're creating this class of people that they can persecute 
because they're so evil and like this narrative has to be destroyed and the legal framework has to be destroyed and like everything the DHS is trying to do classifying Republicans as domestic terrorists is like the most profoundly dangerous shit that has ever happened in America. Uh, It's got to be beaten. Yeah. Barack Obama took the, took the baton and ran with it back in 2017 when he, you know, started these race riots and this is what it's like evolved into. And uh, you know, we saw a resurgence of it with the summer of love, but you know, they, they, they actually tried to put like a legitimate face on this with what happened at the Capitol. And, this could have, this, like what the protests that took place at the Capitol could have happened anywhere else in the United States, and we would never hear from it again, even if it was mostly conservatives. And it's just because this was like their house and their turf, and they had to like get scared for five minutes. They're literally making people pay with it for their lives. People have committed suicides who have been hemmed up by the January 6th committee, and and you know, people have had their entire lives ruined. But I, I think we're getting closer and closer to maybe breaking free from this because last of a dying breed in, in, in long succession of warmongers, Liz Cheney, oh, good. Uh, read from some select texts between Kaylee McInerney and Sean Hannity last night uh, on, live on television. Let's hear her kind of uh, add her commentary. But most emblematic of those days is this exchange of texts between Sean Hannity and former President Uh, Trump's press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany. Sean Hannity wrote, in part, key now, no more crazy people, no more stolen election talk. Yes, impeachment and 25th Amendment are real. Many people will quit. Ms. McEnany responded, in part, love that. That's the playbook. The White House staff knew that President Trump was willing to entertain and use conspiracy theories to achieve his ends. They knew the president needed to be cut off from all of those who had encouraged him. They knew that President Donald Trump was too dangerous to be left alone. I mean, that makes no sense, and those text messages are taken completely out of context. (laughs) Yeah, so that one, I made a meme about that last night. That broke my heart. Kaylee, A2. Uh, seeing that, uh, you know, she was part of that playbook of, you know, I think they're talking there about using the 25th Amendment on Trump, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, so, yeah, it sounds deep state as fuck. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it other than that. Um, and, you know, now that she's gone to Fox News, it's like uh, one more that you can't trust. Very disappointing. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard for me to just look at such a small amount of text and come to any sort of verdict. I mean, maybe I'm being naive. I I am very biased. I really loved Kaylee and I don't want this, you know, her to have joined the other side in any way, but I was just not reading that. Like I was reading it again and again, try to figure out what the meaning of this. I just felt like I didn't have enough information. Maybe I'm just naive. It It could be the committee just trying to discredit her too, because a lot of times that's what they'll do is like, if somebody is good, they'll come out with some kind of evidence that makes them look bad. And, you know, maybe she was just blowing smoke up Hannity's ass. Yeah. And you never know what, like the motive of her saying whatever she said, I need to see the text messages again for one, two. I mean, we only got like a very small portion. Yeah. Two texts from each people. That's, that's that's not enough information. They're obviously leaving important content out. I don't trust Hannity, to be fair. No, I, not at I, all. I, 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 I don't think a lot of people Kaylee, do. Nope. So if Kaylee were to say something to Hannity, there could be a reason why. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, how do I explain it? Um, chess being played by each person, each player in this crazy, massive, right. you know, game. So who knows why she said what she said, but we don't, like we said, 
just now. We only saw two texts from each person. I mean, it's really hard to make a determination. I personally do not and intuitively do not think anything about Kaylee. Like, I I just don't see it. I don't get that feeling from her. You know, I'm with you on that, Antoinette. I, I agree. I have, I'm very biased. I've been a big fan of Kaylee forever. I mean, I, I with me, I mean, people have to earn my trust and she, yeah. she did over the course yeah, of her same. involvement in the administration. And I'm, I'm not just going to throw all that trust away because of some, uh, exactly. I mean, look how they treated her look, context. Look at, just look at how they treated her every single time, you know, she was on that podium. Yeah. You know, uh, they, they always try to take her to task and discredit her. And okay. she was so on the ball. She just humiliated them again and again and again. She was such a boss. Yeah, but she wasn't her. She wasn't like a condescending. No, 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 exactly. Like yeah. the ones that we have now. Straight she back. did it professionally. And I love her with her binder. I'm such a Virgo. It's a Virgo thing. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, is she binders? Virgo? I need to find out. Yeah, she had a binder. No, I know she had a binder. Is it binders or Virgo? Binding. No, no. It's the, the organization. Yeah, the organization. And she was, was always so employed. She was like, she knew what was coming at her Garrison when each yourself. person oh. was speaking. She's like, okay, I need to go to this tab before they even ask the yeah. question. She's just the opposite of Jen Psaki and their, their their replacement, who just constantly seems condescending, constantly seems oh. unprepared, oh. doesn't <laughs> expect to be challenged, and can't answer when she is being challenged. Well, Jen, Jen Psaki went up there like she had just fucking won the raffle, and that's how she got the job. She's like, oh, yeah. her fucking go up there and answer these questions. I'll have to circle back. Circle back. This <laughs> fundamentally did not take it seriously. And then just like all of a sudden it was like, okay, we're going to send you to a freaking MSDNC and replace reporter you. school. No, I'm talking about like, and she got better. I mean, it, it she did brutal. get better at lying. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. No, but she wasn't uh, her, her go-to of I'll get back to you circle back. Well, then yeah. she just she just made it up because it got to the point to where she was like, oh yeah, she was what, just talking about what, what the president meant to say was, and then whatever came out of her mouth. I don't think she had yeah. a choice in whether or not to take that job. I think she got thrown into it and had to do it. Yeah, and... she's been there forever. Uh, I mean, she's a former. Uh, she, I was... she drew right. the short straw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I love thinking about that. As if like that is the <laughs> that's the worst job you could have gotten. Like they're all they're all around the water cooler and they're like, oh fuck, I hope it's not me. Like one of those war movies where the guy's gotta like go and like blow himself up or something to save everybody. He's like, cover. <laughs> Like raggedy and the ginger do it. Yeah. (laughs) No. Sign up for this shit. But I mean, last night it became uh, glaringly clear what the ultimate goal of this non-select committee is, and it's to do something that will legally gain traction that prevents Donald Trump from running for president in 2024. Uh, that's always been like the pseudo aim, but last night it became abundantly clear. Here's Liz Cheney talking directly to her. uh, Well, I wonder what constitutes enough to actually trigger that from to happen. Like, I don't know. Like, like I feel like what, yeah, what you're asking, how much it, more can they, they possibly they would have to, do with this committee? Yeah. But would, what would have to happen? Would like, would, would it be like Joe Biden's going to like put it into action because he decided that that's it or. Right. Well, no, this, this would go up for a vote in the house that Donald Trump was guilty of inciting an insurrection in that. Didn't moment. they already do that with the impeachment? Like, isn't that what that was right. about? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Third, third time's a charm. Yeah, exactly. Third time's a charm, yeah. <laughs> they're just going to keep hitting this thing until they get somewhere. Just, I, I just, just feel like it's over. Time. They're buying time. And, you know, it's not going to work, in my opinion. Well, but... those, you know, the crickets are still being raised and 
They're just trying to make commercials. <laughs> into the mid- yeah, my favorite <laughs> the quote from the whole hearing was finished. when Benny said it's uh, very likely that this administration will not be reelected. Yeah. <laughs> was the only true thing they said. The only fact that came out of that thing last night. Here's Liz Cheney making commercials for the midterms. There's a reason why people serving in our government take an oath to the Constitution. As our founding fathers recognized, democracy is fragile. People in positions of public trust are duty-bound to defend it, to step forward when action is required. In our country, we don't swear an oath to an individual or a political party. We take our oath to defend the United States Constitution. Oh, this again? And that oath must mean something. Tonight... I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. And weren't allowed on the committee. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. Oh, shit. Oh. And then Ron DeSantis will step up and yep. MAGA continues. The, the dawn of I big mean, dick, Ron. They can, MAGA's not going away. They, can, they just bring up, whenever it's convenient, they bring up the Constitution. Oh, yeah. Like, their, their Constitution. Yeah, their, their Constitution. Version. There's no just the non-absolute constitution. Exactly. Not at all. She does. She is not a serious actor. She just yeah. It's 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 the exact same script. You know. We heard the other guy say it too. Sure. No, she's very serious. I mean, it's uh, it's really scary to be lectured on the Constitution by Liz Cheney, like probably the right? most evil, traitorous, uh, <laughs> weft snake in the whole uh, of Congress. Is she that out of touch that she doesn't like? Doesn't she not realize how yeah, she's losing everyone her hates by, her? She's losing her primary no, she, by like 60 she, points. She, she just doesn't care. I mean, it's over for her. She, right. can, she can do what she wants. There's no shame now. It's it's shamelessness yeah. because it's the end of the rope. It's well, like, I mean, they're, they're pro- you're probably getting some some well, sort of benefit from well, yeah, I mean, putting but, yourself I mean, out there for this. Hey, don't say end of the rope. We're still trying <laughs> yeah. to walk back the hang Mike Pence oh. comments from the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hopefully it's the end of the rope. Uh, I don't know. Oh. What can I, I, I made sorry. I made uh, I made a Damn. meme about uh, Wyoming and like what are they doing over there? Because they got Liz Cheney and then they got Cynthia Loomis, who's like passing uh, Bitcoin regulation with yeah. Kirsten Gillibrand. So it's wow. like you've got the two biggest lizards on the planet coming from <laughs> Wyoming. So uh, I can't picture cowboys voting for those folks. I'm not sure what the hell they're doing out there, but they I need know. to primary you want me to everybody. Vote for the lizard people. Hey, the queen just had a jubilee. <laughs> don't forget her. Oh, fucking. Goddamn jubilee, man! She didn't show up, did she? She yeah. was sick again. No, no she not, came. No. She came out. Well, all lizards need their sun. She, she said came, it was a jubilee. She, she came out for a little bit <laughs> and uh, did some waving on the balcony. Um, elbow, elbow, wrist, what, wrist. Are you sure it wasn't the hol- holographic uh, mm. queen like uh, Pope Francis? Oh gosh! Wait, Antoinette, is that is it? Is it elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist? Is that is that the correct way? <laughs> for what? Is it for waving? Did you learn that? A pageant wave. Oh, I don't. What's fucking? No, you know what? You're asking me. I've never done that. Wrong supermodel. We need to ask Geisha. She was actually a. Uh, oh, that's right. Pageants. I modeled. Sorry, God. All right, we're gonna circle back to Tucky right now. He jumped on with Ned Ryan last night towards the end of the committee to propose some stuff that we know never is gonna happen because it involves Kevin McCarthy actually doing his job. Let's hear these hmm. guys. Yep. Well, Ned Ryan has some ideas. He's CEO of American Majority. He joins us tonight. Hey, Ned. So what? That, I hadn't thought about this. It's an interesting question. What would happen to the committee if Republicans take over? Uh, well, first of all, Tucker, I have to make this point and put, put a point on this. This is a show trial in the truest Soviet sense of the word. Ooh. And nobody, no, the good guys have never conducted show trials in the history of the world. Right. And they're meant for two purposes. One to silence dissent and the other to cover up. And Nancy Pelosi has no interest in actually getting to the truth of the matter in this. So what... 
uh, Kevin McCarthy needs to do tomorrow is hold a press conference in which he announces that when Republicans take the majority back, he will continue the January 6th committee chaired by Congressman Jim Banks. That reformed committee will then go and try and find all 14,000 hours of surveillance footage, make them public. Yeah. Also find out how many confidential informants and undercover agents, FBI agents, were in the crowd that day. Understand why Trump's request for 20,000 National Guard troops was rejected and what was That's Nancy Pelosi's role in that. Now. But, but also, Tucker, mm -hmm. why like did the DOJ true? and mm -hmm. the FBI feel compelled to have what are essentially FBI commandos deployed to Quantico with kill-to-shoot uh, authority, shoot-to-kill authority, who were then deployed into D.C. on January 6th? And, and what happened to the pipe bomber at the RNC and the DNC? I mean, Tucker, the left likes to sanctimoniously lecture us that democracy die, uh, dies in darkness which it does when you don't have the truth and facts, but also That's dies right. in duplicity. When the left is colluding with bureaucrats to silence and attack political opposition, but also duplicitous in the aspect of equal justice. And, and, and to me, this is a very dangerous place where we are as a nation, as Sean Davis just referred to. If you don't have rule of law and equal application of justice, it throws everything into the absurd. And so I think Kevin McCarthy and Republican leadership need to stand up tomorrow and say, we are going to continue this. And it is our solemn commitment to the American people that they will finally get to the truth and facts of what took place on January 6th. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Yes. Spoiler alert. Kevin McCarthy did nothing of this sort today. Wait, so they're fact checking the fact that Donald Trump wanted 20,000 National Guard troops. Cash Patel and Chris Miller have literally gone on countless talk shows and talked about those logistical meetings going into that and what happened in right. detail. Wait, so is, is the fact check Donald Trump did not yes. ask for 20,000? <laughs> yes, was no, was not denied 20,000 National Guard troops. Oh, so they showed up? They were there? It was, we just didn't see them? They were hidden? It's they, they, oh, it was they the camouflage. Took, uh, it was a the couple new weeks. They came after. It's the politicheck. No, yeah, afterwards they came and they had to live in the parking garage. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they lived in the parking garage. They were sleeping on the floor. And, and eat the raw chicken. <laughs> they were, they then... were in the parking lots because the uh, illegal immigrants were in the hotels. <laughs> Trump actually put them up in one of his hotels because they were that sleeping was awesome. on the floor. Yeah, and he was, you know, gone by that time too. It's just crazy. Yeah, it certainly is. I wonder how many rooms they wrecked. Well, we're going to wrap it here with our last audio clip of the week and only way we can have. We're going to stay in the same thread of Tucky because he did go commercialist last night. I'm sure his executive producers weren't happy with him because at the end of the show, he talked about how he probably shouldn't have not not gone to commercial throughout the course of his show, but he did. Why did he do that? I don't know. He just said, sponsors, fuck them. They don't like me anyway. So Good. And that he, is, he, <laughs> he was loaded with guests. That's so based. The last one is probably the only guy who's been really with his hand on the pulse of everything that went on behind the scenes and the truth of January 6th, none other than Mr. Darren Beatty himself, a former Steak for Breakfast guest, mm. looking to get him back again soon. Let's hear him weigh in with Tucky. We're going to go to Darren Beatty, our friend who runs Revolver News and has done amazing reporting on Is January Tucker 6th. Darren, friends thanks so now, much like for joining yeah. us. What do you make, what do you make you of this? You've been following this since the day it happened. It culminates tonight. Your view. My view is it's important to keep in mind what the stakes are. The stakes are the repurposing and reconfiguration Bastards. of the national security apparatus against Ooh, American people. Incidentally, the Department of Homeland Security has spearheaded this, and amongst his other duties, 
Chairman Benny Thompson is none other than the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee in Congress as well. Oh, He's that. the DHS's stooge in Congress when the DHS is conducting the Patriot Purge that you've spoken of so well. Hmm. And so there's a reason that people like us, when we talk about federal involvement in January 6, it's met with the most vicious and hostile response from the regime imaginable. But no matter how dark and uncomfortable these truths are, the American people need to learn about them for themselves. I encourage everyone, if you're skeptical, if you're not, if you know someone who's skeptical, go to revolver.news right now, read our report, and challenge others to do so as well, and tell them to look you in the eye and say that the feds weren't involved in this. Mm -hmm. It's a clear hoax. We know what's happened, but there's unfinished business, and we need to expose the feds for what they've done. Because as I've said on your show before, until we bring the national security state to heel, our politics will be nothing but fake and performative. And I think people feel that they are even now. It's, I will say, breathtakingly audacious of a committee whose stated purpose is to get to the truth, not to answer even the most basic questions. If you sat through this entire thing and didn't learn why the cops opened the doors to the rioters, like, what's the point? No, it's ridiculous. There are five or six absolutely decisive questions that get to the core, the beating heart of what really happened that day. Yep. And the committee will explore none of those questions. And in fact, the committee's purpose, other than just to grandstand and distract, is to obfuscate and obscure and silence those questions from being asked. Yeah. It's just remarkable how many people are going along with this. And it's absolutely shameful. You are not one of them. Darren Beattie, I appreciate your coming on tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well... Some more facts as usual. Spitting. Yeah, I mean, Darren B, dude, that guy wrote so many. That United Nations speech, the first time Donald Trump went, had Darren oh, yeah. B's name all over it. He wrote some amazing speeches for him. I'm sure he had some input on the inauguration speech and was just absolute base Chad when he was there spitting the nationalist <laughs> populist fire from the podium for Donald Trump. So he's done some amazing investigative work. He's uncovered a lot of the truths from January 6th. And listen, we say it all the time. There was some bad, stupid shit. Some people just acted fucking dumb. They wanted to throw, like, bike racks and crutches and, like, uh, flagpoles at people and act like idiots. Like, you know, they deserve to get in trouble. But for the most part, this was sabotaged from day one. It was counter-coordinated and everything that Donald Trump wanted never got. And in turn, we saw a lot of bad actors who were working extremely badly all the way from Ray Epps the night before to whatever happened the day of, uh, you know, the Fed surrection. So, gentlemen, what do you guys think weighing in? Final thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the key problem with our country right now is there's no accountability whatsoever for the, you know, Orwellian intelligence community and the federal law enforcement community. It's like they're all communists. They're all working for one side. They're all acting like secret police and yep. an authoritarian regime. Uh, you know, you really have to treat it like you're living behind the Iron Curtain and you're, you know, doing radio free Europe. I mean, it's it's scary. Uh, and I think that was the whole point of that um, hearing last night was to show that they can create the reality that they want. Uh, that they can ignore all the facts, they can not investigate anything, um, you know, all the stuff that we know about it that happened, they're going to sweep under the rug and they're going to, you know, define seditious conspiracy for you, you know, right there and talk about how they're going to persecute people for memes and stuff like this. I mean, it's all just to chill your free speech, chill your Second Amendment rights, 
you know, tell you to shut up and sit down. And it's uh, it's the stuff you see in communist regimes. And it's really sad that that's happening here. Yeah, for me, I don't know. I, um, I just, where am I going with this? I, I think that like the reason I'm paying so much attention to all this stuff, despite the fact that I'm a Canadian, is because, you know, the vacuum of America always ends up influencing us and other nations around the world and like i just really hope that america can get their shit together right here right now and i see if that happens over the course of the next few years i am optimistic about it and i think this is a sham i've already pointed that out i mean it's a big show and i think it's blowing up in their faces i don't think they're going to get what they want out of it and that's a good thing because you know meg is here to stay it's not going anywhere and I'm hoping that that trend can continue. I'm going to continue to do what I do, making memes, which kind of push that and help that plan out because I think it helps us as well. It helps us here as Canadians too, because, you know, if, when, when America is doing what it does well, we end up kind of mirroring that and in do, in doing well here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you guys both make excellent points, you know, there's a couple of things you need to take into consideration how impactful memes have been, not just since the start of COVID, but dating all the way back to the start of the Trump, you know, candidacy back in 2015, all the way up through now, you guys have the ability to make, manipulate and shape the news cycle with truth through humor. And it's, it's something that, uh, you know, we ran with last year on steak for breakfast, having a couple of the uh, meme enthusiasts and crafters on. And I'll tell you guys, for the uh, performance you gave today, the meme community continues to definitely not disappoint on Steak for Breakfast as far as commentary goes. You guys not only bring the top tier S tier memes to the show, you bring the absolute fire commentary, which we enjoyed having both of you on. And we want anybody in our listenership who's listening today that could uh, possibly follow you guys on social media. So not far out. Where can we find you if we're looking for some of that spiciness you're delivering? Uh, you can find me at not far out on Instagram. Uh that's that's my main tag on pretty much all of my socials. I'm on Truth, Twitter. Twitter, it's a little different. Somebody stole my tag, so I had to go not too far out, the there number two. But but it's, it's not far out. So I'm sure if you search that in pretty much any of the socials, you can find me. Live link in that in the show description today. And then Republican Actual, where can we find you? Yeah, so my tag on Instagram is at Republican underscore Actual 2.0. Uh, and then my tag on every other social media platform is just Republican under, underscore Actual um so yeah thanks for having me on and look forward to connecting with all you guys oh it's been our absolute pleasure and we'll be live linking your guys profiles in the uh, show description today and looking forward to having you back at some point in the future that was great i'd love to be yeah, back sounds good it was a lot of fun thanks for coming down guys excellent 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 way to end the week here on steak for breakfast what a jam-packed show full of wholesome american goodness no what do you think it was wholesome antoinette awesome great show yeah, great week, and they're only going to be getting better. Um, if you want to keep tracking the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podad, Google Player, FM Player, iHeartRadio, and the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Don't forget to leave a review. Please download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds. Go to our amazing guest today the uh, future governor of Arizona, Miss Carrie Lake, our America First House candidate in Washington 3, Joe Kent, the Republican nominee in North Carolina 13, Bo Hines, Andrew Kloster, former White House legal, and our guest hosts, 
Not Far Out, and the Republican actual account. Awesome guests today. Thanks for all coming down. Friends, don't forget to uh, go throw some of that hard-earned cash. Sorry, we got to uh, figure for inflation at our partners, because when you do that, in the midst of this economy, you actually do help make small American businesses great again. My pillow, getting close to Father's Day. My slippers are a uh, big, big savings right now, down to $49.99. Gotta love it. And a prom- exactly. And a promo code stake at checkout. You get big, big savings on everything else they got going on at My Pillow. MyPillow.com forward slash stake is the website. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1 800 658 8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things audio related can be found at Odyssey. Uh, get those ears taken care of, done up right. They are the highest quality of headphones, and they have things that will just blow your mind when it comes to specifics. In-studio recording, gaming, exercise, you name it, Odyssey is going to take care of it. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay Ready Gear holsters. If you want a picture of uh, Benny Thompson telling you that his district is racist, even though he's been voted to a house seat there every two years for the last 30 They'll throw it on a concealed carry Kydex holster. You can put your favorite shoe to shoot in there and hide it under your shirt. StayReadyGear.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Next Friday, we're going to be doing it up live here. We'll get to that when we get to upcoming shows. We will be buying it, shaking it, sprinkling it, doing a little smoke or something with it. Taking it out, pulling it apart, drizzle a little barbecue sauce right in all of our mouths. Num, num, num. Not today. Oh, there it is. Manrubs.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all of your gun-related needs, and that is firearms, parts, accessory, and ammo. The newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Mike's on Facebook Messenger via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. Stick for breakfast, backs the blue, and they uh, love Mediocre Medic's Instagram. They love their gear as well. Find it at MediocreMedic.com and treat yourself. It's uh, coming to be summer. You're out with some of that tactical gear, maybe a little outer carrier, maybe a little EDC bag. You want a zero fucks duck on there. Still don't know what it means? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Now let's get into the upcoming shows. We're coming back on Tuesday, evening edition of the show. It's going to be out a couple hours later than usual. Oh, I get to sleep before. But don't worry. It'll be well worth it. We're going to be sitting down with current TMTG CEO, Devin Nunes. A lot of letters. We're going to be doing the news with uh, conservative influencer, Emma Mitchum. And then we're going to have a uh, conversation with uh, the woman who is behind the tweet notifications from Donald Trump. Oh. Liz Harrington will be joining us. It's going to be quite the show. We'll be back on Friday. Apparently, everybody and their mother wants to be here. So far, we're going to have Sublime and Slime and Brick Suit in studio. And then Jackson Lamar, Oklahoma Senate, Doug Mastriano, Pennsylvania Governor, Lauren Culp, who's running right next door to Joe Kent in Washington 4. Somebody else just emailed me and said they want to jump on that day, too. And we're also going to have Michael Cassidy, who just had a big upset in Mississippi 3 to force a runoff. Amazing America First, Matt Brainerd-backed candidate there. They're all going to be joining us on Friday. We might not even do the news. We might just go straight interviews, eating, and commentary because it's going to be spicy anyways. Following week, we've got Keith Pacow, Robbie Starbuck, 
Cash Patel and Max Miller nice. on Tuesday the 21st. It's going to be a nice one. Blake Masters and Jorge Ventura on the 24th. Former acting attorney general of the entire United States. Whoa. Matt Whitaker will be here on the 28th. Vish Burra will be bringing in the first of the month with us on July 1. And on the 8th of July, we'll have Monica De La Cruz, America First, Trump-endorsed nominee, Texas 15. So we've got uh, quite a few good ones coming up. Friends of the Week, I brought a long, extensive list today since we had the memers on with us. Let's go, Brenda, John Hawker LA, Space Witch 45, Man of America, Silent Meme Majority, Mostly Peaceful Memes, Grand Old Memes, That Southern Dude, Machiavelli Memes, hmm. Truth on Draft, Edward Russell, Dumbass Photoshop, Steven Voiceover, Hispanics for DeSantis, Midnight Mitch, and Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, thanks to remember between now and Tuesday. Number one, do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Number three, Let's start talking about American greatness again. There aren't enough people talking about it. It's time to start talking about American greatness again. Not January 6th committees. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 142 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back with 143 on Tuesday with Devin Nunez, Liz Harrington, and Emma Mitchum. You sending out pager codes right now? Mm. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Antoinette? Bye, guys. See you next week. Awesome job this week. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great weekend, and take care. We went up there. We get there, put the tracks on tracks. We're slamming. You know what I mean? We listening to the music and everything. We grooving at the crib. We had girls over there. Yeah, nice environment. It was, it was, it was tight. This bores me. <laughs> Is anyone up for a game of basketball? <laughs> <laughs> How about you and your friends versus me and the revolution? <laughs> So I was like, this must be joking, man. He, I, don't, I don't know where he's going with this, but he was dead serious. He had his uh, helper or whatever go and get some like shorts and sneakers and gave them to us. And laughing, I'm like, this is going to be funny ass. So they come out, right? And I look at them, and um, they still got on the same they was wearing at the club. It was wild, and I was like, I know they ain't thinking about playing ball in that, but they were. I, I said, hey, you know what? You know what we gonna call this? The shirts against the blouse. <laughs> and when I said that, this look came on his face. Uh -huh. He ice grilled me. Uh -huh. And I'm looking back at him, thinking to myself, you know, what are you angry about? I mean, you know where you got that shirt from. <laughs> and the damn sure wasn't the men's department. I mean, I kind of learned something that day. Don't never judge a book by its cover. This cat could ball, man. Play ball. He was crossing cat like I was crossing me. Made my knees slam together. He was getting rebounds like Charles Barkley, snatching it down. Shoot the J. Shoot it. Let's run a play. Computer blue. Darling picky. They was kind of setting these fruity picks, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, you be trying to check Prince, 
And then you got this cat standing behind you, and he's getting close to you, and his hands is out like this. You don't really want to be bent over in front of a cat like that, you know what I'm saying? Prince was incredible. Prince, you got a towel, man? It's kind of hot out here, man. Why don't you purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka? Good. In your face, Charlie Murphy. Good. Good hustle. Yo, man, I'm not on your team. I mean, it wasn't even like it was close. It was a landslide victory. Game. Blouses. I was there. I seen it. You don't believe me? You think I'm making it up? You think I'm trying to, uh, you know...